Hello everyone, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for Happy Hour on this Family Tree Podcast, episode 55. And this might be the biggest and best episode ever. Oh my gosh, I definitely agree. Because we have Emma Watkins from The Wiggles. She's the yellow wiggle. Yes, she is, and she's probably also the most requested guest we've ever had a lot of people thought it couldn't happen they thought it wouldn't happen but it did happen and sometimes you get a guest like this and then two minutes in you're just like this isn't working this has happened to us before where we've had high hopes and then the zoom starts and it just goes terribly wrong and we feel like idiots afterwards this was the exact opposite of that emma is everything you'd want and more in an interview she's the kindest sweetest puts you in the best mood type of person. And I couldn't be happier that she gave us an hour and a half of her time. Oh my time. gosh, it now, was wild. I think I might have edited it down to like an hour 20. Uh, you know, she, <laughs> <laughs> she gave us a tour of her home. She showed us her goats. I don't, I don't know if I should say that, give away the big moment. Yeah, her house is very goat friendly. Uh, there, You will hear goats buying in the background. The entire interview, she has a goat bleeding because... He would hear her speaking with the window open bleating. and he misses yeah, bleating. That's called bleating. I don't think that's common knowledge. You can't well, just go say a goat's bleating and <laughs> not think people are going to think a goat's bleating in Emma's house. Well, for those who didn't know, I think most people know, but those who didn't know that goats bleat. There you go. They learned something new today. You think most people know that goats bleat? I think 100% most people know that goats bleat. But I have to say, while we're on the topic, you know that song... What does the fox say? Yeah. Okay. I learned what foxes said. And the girl who told me looked at me like I was an idiot for not knowing what foxes said. The yip. Oh. Did you know that? No. Yeah. I thought I thought it was fascinating. She oh. thought I was a dummy for not knowing it. Oh, and the goats bleat. 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 That's good to know. Uh, funny thing about this interview is we had planned to talk about endometriosis with Emma. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we wanted to, you know, bring up some of the things that were going on with Lockie. We've seen interviews with her where she was talking about her relationship with Lockie. And she's actually in a new relationship with a guitar player of the Wiggles. Yeah. So we had planned to have a more adult conversation and we were prepared for that. I was still slightly nervous, you know. But, oh, of course. But we were prepared to go ahead just because there was a precedent of her talking about the, these things in public. And we mm-hmm. thought it'd be foolish or strange maybe if we didn't mention it. Cut to the interview. She's in her wiggle outfit with the bow and, the, you know, the yellow shirt. And I just thought, oh, no, she thinks this is a children's show that she's doing press for. That was my initial concern. But then I was like, she's just doing a press day with various outlets and she has to wear her wiggle outfit. So I ask her once I see her in the outfit, I go, oh, big press day. She goes, no, this is just for you. <laughs> instantly my heart's beating out of my chest i'm like do we switch this to a children's style interview i didn't know what to do i don't want her to be uncomfortable i was i was so flattered and we tell her that too i was nervous that our interview was going to go to hell because we had prepared all these questions about divorce about endometriosis about children and you know my my heart sank so i was like crap like what do i do with all my questions but then also oh my gosh like she put on her wiggles costume for us shane like that was that was awesome yeah it was very uh flattering and then you know half an hour into the interview 
uh, we hadn't mentioned anything about endometriosis. <laughs> so I was like, geez, it, it, the interview is going to end soon. Uh, long story short, the interview went an hour longer than that. So I was very happy. We did get to everything we wanted to talk about at the end. Emma gives us an amazing tour of her home and like it's kind of like a goat farm, I guess. And we, we get to introduce to all the animals. It was very interesting. And I think we both admitted that this was kind of the weirdest, coolest interview we'd done, oh, both of us. It was it was amazing. And actually, the coolest thing about her house being goat friendly is it's not a goat farm at all. It's a suburban home that she has made goat friendly. But isn't everywhere in Australia kind of like ruggedy? Not in their main cities. She's in the suburbs. But isn't even the suburbs still the outback? No. I don't know what the outback is. No, it's not. It's a steakhouse. <laughs> Regardless, it was very cool and she's very kind. And I don't think she's putting on an act. Like it didn't no. feel like a facade. She's she's the mother, Teresa, of music. Not even just kids music, but music in general. She's just got such a kind aura and like I'm not somebody like believes in this kind of thing typically but it was like coming through the computer screen and you could just you could just feel how nice she was and how genuine it was mm -hmm. and I like some of the questions I ask her it's and she would just go yeah it's, it's almost so <laughs> yeah. cool like her answers are, are very funny sometimes but anyway yeah. we also have another huge guest I'm calling this a super sode usually I say super sode when we have three guests mm -hmm. and if they're three pretty good guests we have two home run guests here. Yeah. So our second home run guest is Dr. Michael Gervais. So he has been employed with Seattle Seahawks for what, like eight years, something like that, working to help the coaches strategize, working to help keep the players in top mental and emotional condition. He also, you guys might have heard him from, he worked with Felix Baumgartner when he jumped from the Red Bull, you know, space capsule thing. And he was the first person to jump from outer space into our atmosphere and it was a very crazy event he helped prep felix baumgartner for that athletic event and he's also you might have heard him on dak shepherd's podcast mm -hmm. armchair expert uh this man is very sought after very high regard dr michael gervais and uh he caused a bit of a, a not a conflict but he he certainly scared you a little bit. Well, he scared me because he knows his shit. He knows what he's talking about. So he's a high-performance psychologist. And that's why he deals with, you know, elite athletes and businessmen. But he told at one point in the interview, Shane was saying, oh, yeah, you know, I'm always doing this to Alex. Oh, I'm always nitpicking Alex and she gets defensive. And without missing a beat, Michael just like deadpan in the camera goes, oh, yeah, that's a recipe for divorce. And then somebody who knows their shit, Shane, saying that freaked me the heck out. Well, I had prefaced it that I had researched him saying that previously. Mm -hmm. So I was a little scared because I'm very critical of you and you're very defensive. But you told me you weren't worried about it. Now you're saying you were worried about it. <laughs> I was more worried about how you'd react after the interview and sure to form you were upset after this interview. Well, how could I not be? Like, if, if a pro, an expert in his field, one of the top guys in his field, is like, oh, yeah, a recipe for divorce right there, wouldn't you be, like, a little on edge? No, because I feel like we're outliers a little bit in the sense that, yeah, maybe most people would get a divorce if they were like us, but I'm kind of, like, comically critical, and you're kind of comically defensive. To be honest, I think most people would have gotten a divorce in our situation in you know stuck in home for going on like 250 days two kids and working together i think that's a recipe for divorce but i'd like to say that we're thriving yeah i i do think we are thriving and i do think we're never going to get a divorce 
I like that. It's a good positive outlook, babe. Yeah. <laughs> well, and part of it is I know you would never divorce me. And I'm not being like, I've, that sounds so. There, there's limits, my love. Okay. 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 <laughs> what I'm saying is I know you're not the divorcing type and I'm not, you know, whatever. No, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. Like if there was an issue that I couldn't get over, definitely divorce you because it's not worth being unhappy. But, you know, I'd rather work through things. Okay, so with, <laughs> so I know you're not the divorcing type, but yes, should something catastrophically wrong go happen, you will dump my ass. However, you th- seem to think I'm the divorcing type. You have the, it in your mind that I'm always thinking of a way out of this relationship. That no, 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 no. What it is is that I think that you're fickle and you're very emotional. I'm not fickle. I think you're fickle and I think you're emotional. And That's I think, one F word I don't want being said in this household. <laughs> and I think that if anybody was to do the divorcing, it would be me dumping your ass to the curb. Fickle. How, sorry, how am I fickle? Well, I think you're fickle in, you know, when I hear you talk about past relationships and things like that, it's like very random things that set you off about somebody. And it just seems like... like how, Very little things. The, Shane's face right now. The woman, one of them was without work for like a long time and I had to pay for them and they weren't trying to get a job and that was like hard on my life and I didn't have a lot of money and I was, yeah, okay, that, that okay. wasn't fickle. That was just ruining and the the, I, the person was very demanding and, <laughs> and demanding and they didn't have a job and they I was paying for everything. That wasn't fickle. <laughs> What was fickle about that? No, maybe other ones, shorter term ones. I haven't had a short term relationship. I haven't had one short term relationship in my entire life. You seem like a fickle guy, Shane. I think you're fickle. No, I'm not fickle. I think you're fickle in different aspects of life. I'm nitpicky. But you're fickle. Okay, maybe um, short term fickle, but long term, I hate change. I would, ne- <laughs> I would never leave you. Like primarily because you don't like change? Yeah. Each kid adds 10 (laughs) years to our relationship. Plus, I'm scared of change. So it takes me five years to make a change. Plus 10 years for each kid. That's 25 years I'd ask for a divorce earliest. Plus, I'm hot stuff and I'm a pleasure to be around. So you'd be utterly devastated without me, right? That's what I'm waiting for. Yeah, for for now. 25 years from now, let's talk. (laughs) Well, I could be a mess too. (laughs) Maybe I'll be, I'll probably be so scared to divorce you in 25 years. Yeah. And I'm six years older than you. Yeah. Jeez. That's going to be weird. Yeah, when I'm, when you're 70, I'll be 76. Oh, man. And if I take you for half of what you've got, then I've got a better chance at a successful remarriage than you. Do I have any? What's half of nothing? Well, no, I'm saying like 25 years from now. Oh, you think I'll have something? Well, I hope so. (laughs) Jeez. If not for the divorce, then for our marriage and our children. (laughs) Okay, because I've been relying on your family's inheritance. (laughs) Oh, okay, yeah. I think I think we're in this point is we're in this relationship I think pretty good. I think so. I we're I'm, we're trying. That yeah, sounds like, bad. Yeah. Yeah. I really do think you are like my home though. It feels homey with you around. It feels very. I don't want to get you. too emotional. No, that's okay. As as everybody knows who's heard you know more than two episodes of this podcast, I'm very apt to cry in these opens, and uh, you know it's, who's more apt to cry, me or you? I'm more apt to cry in an open. You're more apt to cry in an interview. I think. Really? See, I will cry when I start talking about you or the kids or mm. anything. Like, I'm just so emotional uh, right now, I think, because of mm. pregnancy and postpartum. You're not and then, pregnant again. 
God, no. Um, but you, I think, are very likely to cry when and somebody that we are interviewing, you know, makes you really look inward and says something about our life, about how we parent, about relationships. No, are you crying a- right now? No. It's not about inward. It's To me, it's about if someone was to talk about like uh, kids or yeah. being bullied. If someone's talking right. about bullying, that really sets me up. I hate people being bullied because, mm-hmm. you know, I was bullied a lot. Of course, yeah. And I, I just, I don't, I, I hate when other people cry too. So mm-hmm. if I feel like someone's going to cry, I get ready for it and I want to start crying. Like that Will Smith scene in Fresh Prince. Everyone knows what I'm, <laughs> when he's like, why does no one want me? And he hugs Uncle Phil. That scene breaks me apart. Uh, yeah. Two great interviews. Uh, we know that you all will love them. So check them out and uh, let us know what you think about these great guests. But Shane, before we go any further, cheers. Yeah, that's so funny. You have a fox on your glass. Oh, yep. What does the fox say? Oh, I have a cigarette of mine. <laughs> okay, we are drinking, as usual, Seed Lip Cocktail in the Open. This is a bit of a uh, an easier drink today. Mm-hmm. Normally, we like to do a lot, but we're kind of busy right now. So we so just busy. went for the tonic. and. All right, so we're doing Grove 42, a splash of tonic, and a couple ice cubes. And this is very refreshing, I very know. easy to make. I got to say, so Grove 42 is the one that I reach for the least. So Shane and I are, are always stocked up on all three variants of Seedlip. But I go for this one the least often because I think that I don't like the sweet citrus. But this is amazing right now, just with tonic. Like, this is incredible. And I don't think we drink this one enough. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I thought this one tasted le- the least like alcohol. But it tastes like alcohol right now. I and I, I really like it. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, All right. Very good. Well, let's get into it, babe. Do you, have, uh, do you have any topics tonight? Okay, wait. Before you get on your topics, like, I'm, I feel a little bit ashamed and a little bit like I, I just want to know if you... Uh, have done this as well ever so I just put the baby to bed it takes me about 40 minutes these days oh you farted walking down every step (laughs) a little too (laughs) no I'm kidding no but just as gross uh so sitting there and I've been doing a lot of research into skincare lately and a lot of people my followers have been kind of helping me out and walking me through these Korean beauty routines Mm -hmm. so it's totally changed how I do my face at nighttime and I'm seeing like crazy results already and it's only been a week. So I was researching while I was putting the baby to bed and nursing her. Just these like pimples, they're called comedones or comedones, I don't know how to say it. And it basically they're just bumps under your skin. And people are just talking about when they get them, certain products give it to them. So then I started looking comedones up on Instagram to see if I had them. And then it was just all extraction videos. Do you know what those are? When someone's popping a zit and it's supposed to be like very... I watched them for 40 minutes the entire time I was putting the baby to bed. I couldn't stop. Like, it's supposed I to be satisfying to watch for some people. It was satisfying. It was like some of them were like kind of gross, but it was so satisfying. And it was just like crazy. Like these dermatologists were just going nuts on people's faces and everything was just like exploding out. Like, have you ever watched that? No, like as Dr. You know, Pimple Popper. As you know, I do not like condoms. <laughs> Were you waiting to make that joke the second I said the word? Just for about thirty seconds. I wouldn't say. <laughs> I just yeah, thirty seconds. I've been waiting to say it. Oh my god! And now I just have visions of like 
doctor pimple popper stuff in my head and it's it's disgusting and I want it to leave my head so we can get onto this podcast but uh at the same time like I know I'm gonna go and watch them later again like it's a weird it's it's a crazy like addictive feeling yeah that's just not one of the things that I look up <laughs> online yeah is that is that it for you uh yeah I might throw something in later but let's see what you got Okay, I wanted to talk about. Hey, we're nominated for a podcast award. Oh my gosh, yeah. So, do you- we, okay, so Moms Toronto, which is basically if you are on mat leave in Toronto in the GTA where we live, you sign up to Moms Toronto so you could see what events are going on around you. And for those who don't live in Canada, for those who don't know, Toronto is a world class city. It's huge. There's a ton going on, and Moms TO is like the de facto mommy group for moms that you know, don't like typical mommy groups. Like there's an offshoot in our city in Hamilton. And last year for Halloween, the big event was a daytime, like they rented out a bar during the daytime and there was a drag show for babies. And all the babies came dressed. The babies came in drag? No, the babies oh. came dressed up, but then there was drag queens putting on a performance for the babies. And it was really adorable. And they were like interacting with the What are the, the babies kids. dressed up as? Lucy was a chicken. Oh, okay. Oh, mm-hmm. they're dressed for Halloween and then yeah. there's drag queen. I see. It was very adorable. And then there was like drinks, drinks for moms and candy and non-alcoholic drinks. And like it was awesome. And it's that kind of stuff uh, that makes you kind of like still feel like an adult while, you know, making mom friends, making baby friends, whatever. So Moms Toronto nominated us for podcast of the year, which is huge and exciting and totally took us aback. Did they nominate us or did somebody? Somebody nominated us. So one of you nominated us. And thank you so much. We totally appreciate it. Uh, but Mom Strano told me about it. And yeah, so exciting. So go vote. So what, what happened, I think, is that a bunch of nominations came in and then Mom Strano narrowed it down to the three finalists. And I think, actually, I know we're the in the top three. So mm-hmm. it's a very cool honor. The only thing I'm a little weird about is... People have to vote yeah, and you can create a million email addresses and kind of cheat your way in. And it's a bit of a popularity contest. It's a total popularity contest. So the award shows that I like a little bit more, mm-hmm. and there's every award shows a bit of a popularity contest, is ones that have a set number of judges and that set number of judges would listen to the podcast mm-hmm. and then critique it and give points for however they're going to do it and then decide the winner. So this way it feels more fair. And everyone voting, I feel like we're going to lose because the account with the most followers is going to win. And aside from that, because it's not even always just about that, you know, everybody has those friends on Facebook and Instagram, and who knows, you might be one of them who will enter a contest. And every day you're reminding your friends like, hey, guys, like I do this for you. Get on it. Vote for me. Vote for my kid, whatever it is. I voted for lots of people that have done that. However, it's not something necessarily that I want to do every day I don't want to remind people like hey go vote so we're just going to kind of leave it up to people doing it on their own accord yeah if we lose it's definitely because there was cheating going on and if we won it's probably because one of you cheated for us so please (laughs) if you could uh, cheat your butt off if you're inclined to do so because we're not going to nag you and uh, for real Miss Blondie listening in Australia I think you can vote from there so just, just letting you know, if anybody's going to cheat for us, it might be you. And Real Miss Blondie, I think, is my favorite listener just because she helps us out so much every week, uh, always submitting a question in our questions section at the end. 
And when I say question, I mean questions. But yeah, okay, what else do I have on my topics here? I have, oh, being critical. I'm going to try to be less critical of you to save the marriage. I know your eyes are darting around. <laughs> I know you're laughing because I'm always critical of you. Ten minutes before this, I was critical of you. I'm going to try to stop that. How are you, wait, how are you going to try to stop that? Just when I feel it coming on, I'm going to say, no, don't do that. So I'm just going to do it cold turkey and just feel it coming on, just not to do it. So Mike, Dr. Michael Gervais in our interview with him talks about intention and about meditating and using your meditation to kind of focus on the things that you want to improve on. So you and I want to start meditating. Oh, in the interview, we were like, okay, doctor. Starting uh, tonight. We're starting tonight. And we didn't do anything. <laughs> we still haven't done anything. But, but we're we, going to start next week. We do want to. And here's the thing. Are, do you think that you can make that one of the things that you focus on and become more intentional about, like in yeah. your meditation? And Yeah, I'm going to start a bunch of stuff. I have a shoot on Monday, a commercial shoot. And I, I haven't had one in quite a bit uh, exacerbated by the fact that, you know, there's been COVID going on. So uh, it does, does stress me out a little bit to have a shoot and the new baby. And it's a lot of work and a lot of planning. But after that, which is going to be on Tuesday of this week, I'm going to focus on meditating and a bunch of other things, actually. Good. I'm glad to hear it. And not curious there, what the bunch of other things are. What are the bunch of other things? Well, I'm going to try. I'm working towards a goal to do 100 push-ups in a row. That's a huge goal. So what was it? How many years ago did you start? I started about three years ago okay. doing 10 push-ups a day. So... Or 10 push-ups in a row was my record. <laughs> wait, wait. When did we do it at the cottage? Yeah, it was like... Okay, so like three years ago at my family's cottage, my dad and Shane had a drunken push-up contest to see if they could do 25 in a row. And how many did you do? 25? No, I think I did 27. That was me pushed to the max. And now how many can you do in a row? 70-something. That's insane. Like, that's insane. That's sheer willpower. And like, to mom's thinking, oh, what is this have to do with me in my life it's like shane could barely do 10 made time out every single day to work on this and improve and it doesn't take very long at all you can drop whatever you're doing whenever you need a break and just do it and now you can do in the 70s and that's crazy and my arms are very long compared to my body like i'm six foot tall but my wingspan is six four and a half so typically people's arms are if their wingspan's similar to their height uh, give or mm. take an inch. But mine makes it much harder for me to do push-ups because the longer and skinnier your arms are, it really makes it difficult. So for me, this was a challenge I wanted to take on to see, hey, can I do a normal amount of push-ups? Right. Which for me, normal was being able to do 10. And now I can do 70. So I no, feel very good about it. That's motivating for me too because right now, oh my gosh, my arms are so weak after like literally – since about a year when I got pregnant and then miscarried, we're hitting that time now. Like I haven't been able to work out because I was so sick with that pregnancy. And then I was so sick with Betty's pregnancy that I did not go to the gym ever. I spent all my spare time throwing up. So my arms are so noodly in that I've lost all my muscle. And it's crazy to think that I can barely do 10 push-ups. So I want to start that too. So maybe I'll start that with you on Tuesday. Oh, cool. I look forward to that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk about mom superiority complex. Ugh. You don't like that. We don't have to talk about it. No, I mean like ugh, to the people. Oh, I thought you meant the people that were giving it to me, Shane. No, I'm talking about you giving it to dads. 
When, well, not dads, just you. Me. I guess what I want to talk about in general is moms who mm-hmm. think that they know everything and the dad knows nothing. Yeah. Well, okay, this is actually a huge issue. So for me, it comes out in certain regards, like certain things you do. I'm like, oh, I can't believe he's doing it that way. And then I feel like I, I need to say something. And here's the thing. You always assume that it's coming from a place of Shane's an idiot. But it's just for me, it's like, oh, I, I, I don't know if he knows that or not. So and then, you, Okay, so just backstory here. You come down the stairs with the bottle and you go, Shane, we don't leave the bottle in Lucy's crib at night. The milk can go sour. And, and it's, it's and it's okay, I know what you said. <laughs> <laughs> and it's bad for her teeth. She can get cavities. And I'm like Nice uh, voice, by the way. You well, dink. When you're imitating someone and they're annoying you, you have to make it as annoying as possible to hammer home the point. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I know we've talked about this hundreds of times. I only did it because it was choosing between her sleeping or not. And she was really, she's terrified of the dark right now. She needs to get a, a, some things just so she can get a good night's sleep. And yeah, it's not, it's not great, but it's, it's better than the alternative. So I, I kind of got upset and was just like, come on, like, I, I know this of all things. Like, you know, I know this, mm-hmm. I, especially like we've been in quarantine. I put her to bed every single time now. And then sure enough, I had to do something the next night and you put her to bed. And then I, I go to get, put her in her nap. I'm like, what the F? There's a bottle left in there. So I bring the bottle to you. I'm like, Alex, we don't leave the bottle in the crib. It's the milk's going to so that's just my point. Like, I, I know other things you think I, I genuinely do not know. Mm-hmm. The bottle thing, you'd have to know that I know that. We've yeah. talked about it, like, lose too. We've been dealing with this for two years. I never leave the bottle in there. I only would do it under emergency scenarios. You know what? I, I just wanted to make sure, and really, in the moment, I probably had 10 other things going on, so I didn't really do, like, a search of the back catalog history about times that this may or may not have happened. So... I just wanted to be safe. But this is a huge problem with couples because I've researched this in the past. And it it causes an issue when moms, especially when the baby cries and having to do with like who can soothe the baby. Often the baby will start crying very early on, like in, you know, the first couple days or whatever. And then everybody always assumes, including the mom, especially if you're a new mom, that the baby's hungry. So then the mom takes it back. And then the father can oftentimes not become bonded with the baby as quickly as the mom it's already it's more difficult but then they don't have the confidence in soothing the baby putting the baby to sleep and things like that because the mom just always takes the baby assuming that she needs to be the one to help so there are issues like that and like there was an article recently in parents or today's parent or something and it was about exactly that mom's doing too much and not delegating or having faith in their partner. Yeah, and- article, smart article. I'm just talking about what's happening in our own house. and Yeah. And it is happening where there's a bit of mom superiority. Where when you- else? Oh, just there's an air in the air where <laughs> it's like you know everything and I don't I know. I do know everything. Do I not know everything? Well, what you don't know, you figure out because i tell you i feel well come on i feel like there's a lot of things i do (laughs) like not to have beat dad superiority but i feel like there's a lot of things i do better than you oh like okay just give me one thing and i'm not gonna fight you too hard on it because uh this is a podcast after all 
I can coax Lou to do things much easier than you using simple language. Sure. Yeah, you do. I will give that to you, and I'm not going to fight you on that one at all. And mm. I, I do think you are very good at that. And oftentimes I find myself when I am – and again, it's hard. because You're got thinking, Betty. what would Shane do? Well, yeah, but then – if you're in the house working in the other room and I've got Betty on my hip and lose, you know, being a brat and not wanting to do something and needing a little more coaxing, I'll just call you now because it's easier. And yeah. you are so helpful with that. Yeah, I agree. Especially at mealtimes. Yeah. And with the potty. Well, then how come she had an accident today? Because I wasn't there. <laughs> Only there was I. We were both in the kitchen. That's that's the issue, I think. No, but I mean, like, if you're like, uh, okay, it's time for a nap. Go on the potty. Lou will go, no. Mm-hmm. Well, because I was the one who did the initial body training with her. And I think I'm the one that, you know, has to remind her 20 times a day, is it time to go potty now? Do you have to go poo-poo? Do you have to go pee-pee? And then she's tired of hearing it from me. No, she'll say no to me too, but then I'll know how to get her on the potty. No, yeah. And you know what? Not arguing. I thought I would try to fight you on it, but I'm not. Is that this enough opening topics? I feel like it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So... We'll save the rest for next week. But right now, we are going to go to our interview with Emma Watkins, the Yellow Wiggle. But first, Alex, tell us who we are supported by. We are supported by Hiccupop. Hiccupop makes innovative products for families from pregnancy to toddlerhood. The designers, engineers, and computer geeks behind Hiccupop are parents as well as manufacturers, and they're dedicated to creating cutting-edge products that meet the highest safety and quality standards. And how many times have we been on a trip and just been like, thank goodness we brought X, Y, or Z. Oh my gosh, so frequently. Shane and I love to pick up and go, and it's so hard to bring all your baby products and have them actually fit in your car. Luckily, a lot of the Hiccupop products are inflatable or they fit so nicely in your luggage and they make traveling so easy. So they have pack and play mattresses, inflatable toddler beds, wipe warmers, collapsible baby booster seats with a tray and an inflatable car booster seat. They're luxuries that you just can't travel without and they're all top sellers on Amazon and amazing for families with growing kids or who like Shane and I are always on the go. I used to think the wipe warmers were just like a frivolous luxury <laughs> and then you have the newborn. Oh and man. It really stops them from crying if you have the warm wipes. And this is one of the highest rated best wipe warmers in the biz. Look it up. They're a game changer. Their products are ethically produced and Hiccupop takes pride in working closely with nonprofits that serve the disadvantaged in our communities. So check out Hiccupop at either Amazon.com or Hiccupop.com. That's H-I-C-C-A-P-O-P. And use the promo code FAMILYTREE20 at checkout for 20% off. So just Family Tree 20. We've taken this out of there and it's just Family Tree 20. Enjoy. But we are also supported by... By My Breast Friend. My Breast Friend is the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies. And just be clear, you're saying Breast Friend. My Breast Friend because it's a nursing pillow. So it's quite genius and people get that because for more than 25 years, my breast friend's patented wraparound design has supported people in over 40 countries and has been used in thousands of birthing hospitals to support successful nursing. And the spelling of that is B-R-E-S-T. Yes, there's no A. Continue. <laughs> So a friend of ours gave me a My Breast Friend nursing pillow before Lucy was born and I didn't realize how helpful it would be until she actually arrived and we were kind of thrust into the nursing life. But it really does have amazing support. I have like three nursing pillows that, you know, I didn't know what I was going to like. And the My Breast Friend pillow 
truly is so much better. I guess that's why it's number one. That is why it's number one. And you know what? Just like a good friend, it has a little pocket for your water bottle or for whatever that you need on you, your cell phone. And it it just is so comfortable. It holds the baby in a perfect position. And that's why that it is a favorite pillow, not just by moms, but by lactation consultants around the world. You can purchase My Breast Friend online at buybuybaby.com target.com, walmart.com, babylist.com, or amazon.com. Basically, it's everywhere because everybody knows how great it is. I can't stress it enough. It's number one for a reason. That it is. So go and pick that up and I can guarantee that you will enjoy it. And I can guarantee that you will enjoy this interview with Emma Watkins. So let's get to that right now. Hello there. Hey, so sorry. For some reason, the Zoom wasn't working properly. Problem. I feel I should apologize for the goat sound. Um, I have a new goat, but if it's a problem, let me know. No, I like goat ambience, actually. Wait, I heard you had a new dog. I didn't hear about a goat. When when did you bring this goat into your life? Well, I haven't told anybody about the other goat, but that's because my <laughs> other goat passed away. Oh, oh I'm, I'm sorry so to sorry that. to hear that. So I'm trialing another goat as a friend for my other goat. <laughs> oh, my goodness. When, when did you get the new one? Sunday. So, yeah, almost a week ago. Oh, and what's the new goat's name? Peaches. Peaches, that's amazing. <laughs> Wait, do goats make good pets? They're adorable. I, I love the miniature goats, but like, are they cuddly? They're very affectionate. They're not really like, sheep are just interested in eating the grass and being part of the herd, but right. goats are actually very, very clever and they want to be with you all the time. Well, at least my goats, they, they sleep right up close to the house because they'd rather be inside than outside. That's right. weird. Are you, are you in the country? Like, do you, or do you have like city goats? <laughs> well, they're, they're miniature goats and you can see the neighbors of that. That's how close they are. <laughs> that's hilarious. But normally they're really quiet, but this particular one has been taken from its pack. Mm-hmm. So it's just sorting out how it's just trying to figure out. But because I'm talking, it's just going to make a bit of a noise. I'm yeah, so our, No, our cat's like that too. <laughs> we always have to put the cat in the room and we always feel so bad uh, when we do it. But at nighttime, the goat's pretty good, eh? For letting you sleep? Yeah. They're asleep. Yeah, they just they're just comfy if they're nice and close. They can hear you talking. They can hear you making food. As then they then they feel comfortable. I didn't know they were like that. Like I, I I didn't know that they were like affectionate like domestic animals. That is so neat. Not all of them. I think because we've had these ones since they were young. My two original goats are only about a year and a half old. So it was a bit of a surprise that one passed away. And so this new one is a similar age because I couldn't get a baby baby one because yeah. otherwise they wouldn't match. Ah, I see. So otherwise one becomes really dominant and then it's really hard to match them. Interesting. And is today like a big press day for you? Because I noticed you're wearing the <laughs> outfit. I've just worn this for you. Is that okay? No, I, I wasn't sure. I I'm, honestly wasn't I'm sure. honored. I think it's amazing. <laughs> That is so flattering. (laughs) I know. Emma, and I need to say that when we told our listeners that we were having you as a guest, we had more fanfare than we've ever had before. And I have so many messages from women saying, just tell Emma I love her. Just tell Emma she's a badass. Just tell Emma this, that. So many amazing things. So I I do want to get that out of the way and and just let you know. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's nice that people feel like they share your experience. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the most exciting thing about being on TV or on on Netflix or, you know, on iTunes. 
I think with parents and families, they feel like we're, they see us all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, some parents are loving the Wiggles music and some parents are over it because they've heard it on, on repeat. But people do feel like you're part of their family journey. So oh, that's really nice to hear. Absolutely. And how are things in Australia right now? Because I heard that, like, are you guys all shacking up together so that you can continue to make music and make videos and things like that? Like, what what are the Wiggles doing right now in quarantine? We, I mean, I guess the world has changed, hasn't mm-hmm. it? You know, since March, everything's become so different. We found out about uh, the pandemic on the day of our first day of tour. Wow. <laughs> so... We did two shows and then by the end of the second show, it was all cancelled. We had a lockdown. So from that point on, we we cancelled about nine months worth of touring. And for us, we're used to about 80 to 90% of the year touring. So Mm -hmm. it's been very strange for us to actually stay home, go to Wiggles HQ and do our production. But it's been amazing because normally we would have to try and fit it in between the tour. So it's lovely to be able to stop and reflect and figure out, okay, what what kind of filming do we really want to make? What's really important for families right now? And so lots of new material has come out of this time. Yeah, uh, We're very lucky in that we were all in the same state. But now as we've had freedoms and then restrictions, you know, People have tried to see their family, which they would normally not be able to do, and then they've been stuck in different states. So some of our states in Australia are still in lockdown. That's really rough. So, like, are you trying to find different ways to go forward in a virtual sense? Is that coming up? Yeah. Yeah. And I think for us, as we mentioned before, touring has been such a big part of the Wiggles life, you Mm -hmm. know, for almost 30 years. We're turning 30 next year, which is unbelievable. (laughs) We spend so much time performing live and, you know, traveling around and visiting Canada and North America and and the UK and Ireland, New Zealand, Australia, Abu Dhabi. And we just, all of a sudden that's come to a halt. But we realized that particularly for some of the families that were expecting us to tour and some of those children have been told that they were coming to the show. And so to tell the children that now that show is not going to happen is quite bizarre. And Mm. so we felt that it was our responsibility to continue to connect with families. So we've done Facebook Live, YouTube Live, Instagram Live, like every live that's out there. We've had the time to spend trying to test this technology and Zoom, (laughs) uh, you know, FaceTime, Skype. uh, It's really allowed us to connect with some families that we wouldn't normally be able to reach via the tour. Sometimes we can't reach every city. So this has been wonderful to connect with people from all around the world. Do you feel the same? Yeah. You know, it's it's so interesting because we have been able to sit down and have conversations, like really great conversations with people that I don't think we'd otherwise be able to speak to, like face-to-face, just from all around the world. And mm. I, I like that things are becoming more accessible and you know, not just to families who may live in different cities that these events are going on, but maybe families that can't even afford such events typically. And I know that, you know, sometimes prices go down when they're online. I'm not sure about wiggle shows, but I I do think that things are just generally, it's not the same, but it's a little more accessible. But what do you do to be entertained? Like, do you guys watch Seinfeld in your off time? Or what is, what do you enjoy? Oh, I guess it's different for all of us. And and you're right, we, we're so used to being on the road. So it is a bit of a culture shock for us. But to be home is actually really nice to have this great, to stop touring 
at this point feels like a whole different world. But I really do love animals. I have two goats, two dogs, two cats, and two rabbits. Oh my gosh. You're like Dr. So Doolittle. I do love <laughs> That's amazing. So you take care of animals. And what about what what about TV? Are you binging anything right now? I feel like so everybody's binging one show or the other. We don't really have time to binge. So maybe you're in the same boat as us, but I don't get lots of time to watch shows. Mm-hmm. Um every now and then, I think because we have been home, the weekends of, you know, our, our weekend has actually become a thing, which is amazing because mm-hmm. we've never had a weekend. Normally, the Wiggles would be performing on a Saturday and a Sunday because that's the time when families are available to come together and actually see a show. Yeah. So I have been watching a few things. I'm trying to think of, I mean, I rewatched Pinocchio the other day. <laughs> <laughs> that counts. That counts. And Emma, so speaking of the Wiggles and you guys tour so much and even you like touring 80 to 90% of the year, the Wiggles are a powerhouse group. You guys are a powerhouse act. And Anthony has said that you are the Elvis of the Wiggles. So you're like the powerhouse of the powerhouses. Do you feel more responsibility with that? Like, does that weigh on you at all? I guess we all, we all feel pretty responsible, um, you know, for being the role of a wiggle. And, uh, you know, we essentially have become role models for children, boys and girls. So it really, for children that are in a pre-literal stage, they don't really know if they are a boy or a girl. They, they don't see that kind of difference. I guess for me, when we first started, I received a lot of backlash for being a female wow. <laughs> because I think, a lot of the original fans felt that we were taking over from the original group, but it really wasn't the case. And the only way that I could reflect on that was that I realized that I perhaps would feel the same because I grew up with the original Wiggles. So Mm -hmm. I can see how that could be perceived. But as time went on, I think people realized that we were bringing new personalities to the group and we weren't just replacing the original members. Mm -hmm. We were trying to build on the music and, and transition it into new generations going forward. But I, you know, people were not happy that I was wearing a bow. People weren't happy that I was wearing a skirt. Uh, people weren't happy that I was dancing ballet. And so once people were able to learn that most of the interest that you see in the group that come forward from any wiggle, you know, Simon mm-hmm. being an amazing opera singer, Simon's the red wiggle, Lockie being an amazing keyboard player and singer, all of those mm-hmm. interests actually come out through our wiggly characters. And that's what's so nice about being part of the Wiggles is that you get to be yourself mm-hmm. rather than actually uh, transforming into a role or you become a witch in this in this play or or a fairy or yeah. you know it's it's a very different uh, way of connecting with children because you can bring your own interests into the show. Yeah, you see this often with Saturday Night Live and the Weekend Update. Mm-hmm. Every time that's replaced. there's so much hatred towards them in in a way. Mm -hmm. How long did it take before people came around and really embraced you? And I I feel like maybe even this Wiggle cast is more popular than the last. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, we've really tried our best to stay unique and and genuine to the group. We really wanted to make sure that we weren't karaoke Wiggles, that we were bringing our own personalities through. Mm -hmm. But it took probably about two or three years for families to understand the new transition. But really, essentially, we we kind of get those messages every day. (laughs) Uh, You know, eight years on, uh, we'll still receive those messages. But it has changed a lot because now I think 
people have had a chance to be able to see the new lineup. Mm -hmm. And so once people actually came to the show and watched it or they saw it on TV or on YouTube, they were like, oh, I see. It's like classic Wiggles with a slightly new sound. There's more singers. There's more harmonies. Oh, there's lots of dancing too. Oh, wow, look at that. And then people were actually relaxed and realised that we were just helping that new generation. Because for Mm. lots of children now, they don't know the original Wiggles. They think that we are the original Wiggles. So it just depends on what generation of children, you know, we're approaching. And and honestly, now families are very comfortable with the new lineup. And Mm. it has been a wonderful journey to allow children and parents to catch up with our transition too. And Mm. we've learned how to improve our way forward as well. We weren't this comfortable initially when we first joined it wasn't like you're a new rock band starting out. We already had such big shoes to fill because the original group, you know, they set up and established this reputation of the Wiggles that is highly recognisable and now is generational. So, look, kudos to them. They're such amazing uh, people and personalities in their own right, you know, even to be part of the group. I, as a wiggly dancer, I was honestly thrilled. <laughs> and so to be asked to be a wiggle, I, I was anxious about myself yeah. uh, being in this role initially. And I thought, I can't do it. And I, and I, I think because I watched the wiggles as, as a child, whereas Simon yeah. and Lockie are a little bit older, so they never watched the group when they were young, but they've been traveling with the group for many, many, many years. I was reading that you wanted to be a ballerina dancer when you were a child. That was kind of your dream. And now you've reached such a high level of fame in, in a different capacity. Has this become your new dream fulfilled in a way? Yeah. I, don't, I never would have imagined this. <laughs> <laughs> and I grew up dancing and it was always my passion mm-hmm. and, and goal. And I never thought that I would do anything else. And so when I joined the group as a dancer, I felt really comfortable and I was like, oh, this is the best. I get to dance ballet with Dorothy the Dinosaur. (laughs) This is like my ultimate dream. Mm -hmm. But when Anthony asked me to be a wiggle, I initially thought he was joking and he's like, no, I'm being serious. And I was like, I can't sing. I don't know how to sing. (laughs) And so that was really my, that's my biggest barrier, you know, something Mm -hmm. that I was very, very worried about. And he was like, don't worry about it. You know, the group is a different format because in the past, all of the yellow wiggles have predominantly been lead singers. Right. Uh, but in other group, the singing is shared. And that's something that's really lovely about the new lineup. When I say new, I mean eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> I had a question about that because I had seen you talking about singing. And when I think of ballet, I think of like perfectionism and total mastery, especially somebody like you who is a ballerina. And then going into a new avenue like singing, like that is daunting. And I would cower. I wouldn't be able to do it. So how did you get past that fear and that uncomfortable feeling and be able to sing on stage for so many people? I think I still have it. It's not (laughs) something that's that natural to me in Mm -hmm. terms of singing, singing. But Lockie and Simon both have a huge background in musical theatre training. And so they actually helped me so much, (laughs) you know, to try and overcome that anxiety about the singing. But really, like, to put headphones on and and sing into a microphone, I actually never heard my voice back. Right. So when we came to the studio and I I just cried because (laughs) I was like, I don't even know what this is. Why do I sound like that? And so in some of the first original recordings, my voice is very, very different to how it is now because 
I think the less I have to think about myself, the, the better. Mm-hmm. And so I know Simon was always encouraging me. He's like, just tell the story for the children. As long as you tell the story and you're doing it in a sing-song way, then that's the way to connect with the children. And that has helped me entirely because I'm really not, I'm not Ariana Grande. <laughs> and I'm happy to admit that. Uh, but for the children, you know, that's that really is, I guess, yeah, like you said, I never imagined that I would do this, never. But I do feel the most comfortable being mm-hmm. this personality and character than I've ever been. You know, I, I can't actually imagine myself being in a ballet company anymore because yeah. I feel that this is so uh, me and so free. I, I'm a, I can get to do all the things that I love doing in yeah. the one book. <laughs> so I want to ask about that because I read an article a while ago and it was talking about it said oh the wiggles have brought on a new female like it's an old article have brought on a female wiggle but it's sexist because she's so hyper feminine everything she does is in a tutu it's all dancey there's bows but we know that a lot of this is you like we've read that you don't even own a pair of jeans and no. I, <laughs> I was just still, curious. Like, still, <laughs> still I can't, no. I can't wear them. No. <laughs> but how do you how do you respond to that kind of criticism that it's like anti-feminist and when it's when it's just you and how much influence do you have like in in the writers' room? Oh, I mean, that's the best thing about the group. You know, we actually have full control of the creativity. The four of us write and record and film everything ourselves. So. In that respect, it's wonderful mm-hmm. because we can include as much um, diversity as, as we can possibly do. And I guess initially when you do look at me and I'm wearing a bow and I'm wearing a skirt or a tutu or whatever, you know, that may look hyper-feminine. But I think as the years have gone on, there's so much footage and so many areas and concepts that we've covered that people might not have seen. Emma Wiggle plays the drums and she also drives the big red car. Yes. I can do the best parallel park. <laughs> That's you're, you're, amazing. You're like me at my house. Shane doesn't oh, do the I driving cannot, I cannot parallel reason. park. I, I, I let her drive everywhere. Um, <laughs> but right now you're wearing the bow, your hair is out, you're in the outfit. But are you able to blend in ever or do people just recognize you right away? I think, you know, when, when we're out and about, Parents and grandparents will recognize us straight away. Mm-hmm. Children, not so much. If, if we're not wearing the, the color and we're out at the shops, uh, you know, mum will be like, oh, look, there's Emma Wiggle. And the child will look behind me <laughs> to try and see where I am because I'm not in the outfit. So the color is really important for the children. But parents and grandparents, they must be used to our voice or mm-hmm. our face, uh, you know, without everything on. But, you know, I think, yeah, parents and grandparents have to watch us so often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. it's instant. It's really instant. Are you allowed to have a bad day? Like people must put you on such a pedestal when you're out in public. I think I think the best thing about performing for children is that every time we meet somebody, whether we're in our costume or not, children are so excited to see us and yeah. parents. So that positivity is always um, amazing it it reflects in you and then mm-hmm. you're you're excited back like if a child is coming up oh Emma Wiggle you that's the most beautiful thing <laughs> uh, because they're so, they're so excited so even if you were feeling um you know slightly tired or something mm-hmm. that that will never um you know come across with the children because they lift you instantly and I think that's the reason why 
the Wiggles have been able to perform on the road for so long. Yeah. 30 years is a long time. That's a long and time. And so for Anthony, that is amazing. Mm-hmm. And his uh, inspiration of life comes straight from that direct feedback from the audience. He can see the children. When we're performing, we see the children dancing and mm-hmm. then the parents are watching their children and then, you know, it's a bit of a cycle and we get to watch both. Yeah. <laughs> so once the show becomes our show is not scripted so it's very improvisational and it's very free and so if a child yells out a song in the middle of the set then we'll stop everything and then do that song our our set list is a set list but i like to call it the wish list so it never stays in that order we mm-hmm. kind of might start one two and then do that one and then oh, come very back cool. and, you know whatever we feel like it is so this, the show is really free and i think in that sense that's the reason why the show has been able to uh, continue for so long. Can you hear that goat? I can't. Oh yeah. I, I think it adds a cool <laughs> so vibe sorry. to this interview. Honestly, I like the goat. I want to mic the goat actually. <laughs> so sorry. I'll take you out there afterwards to show you the goat. So sorry. <laughs> That'd be so cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess a better question would have been, can anyone have a bad day interacting with you? Because you must change people's mood instantly. It's got to be so cool to just see a wiggle. I, you know, I don't normally face criticism face to face i think now with the rise of social media it's more that right yeah. you know you 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 get more of that um you know with somebody typing at home or having this time you know i think the pandemic is also a time where people are not able to do their normal work or Absolutely. you know their normal interests so there's more time on social media mm-hmm. <laughs> um no, but you know look that's fine and we can always learn from uh you know feedback where that's that's the best thing in a positive way social media has given us direct connection with some of our audience. Mm-hmm. And so from that feedback from parents and teachers and guardians and carers, we're able to construct certain pieces of content in response to them. So recently we did a social distancing song to try Excellent, and yeah. visually illustrate to children what that meant because it's quite an abstract concept. And when we wrote it, even us as adults, we didn't know what social distancing was. Mm-hmm. So it was a really mm-hmm. good chance for us to figure out, okay, how are we going to describe this in a visual sense? Because a child doesn't know what 1.5 metres is, or for you it's in feet? No, we do metres. Yeah. Oh, metres. Yeah, yeah okay. in Canada, yeah. So it's a very – measurement is, is, is really hard for any child mm. that's under six. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. <laughs> and so, you know, we tried to demonstrate it with, you know, hands out, spinning around, don't touch me um, vibe. But, you know, a lot of songs for the Wiggles over many years have come from parents writing, can you please do a toilet training song? <laughs> can you please do an allergy song? Can you please do a glasses song? And so I think in that respect, we're really lucky to have social media to allow us to, you know, have that two-way feedback system. Yeah, so when when you guys are all in the studio recording songs, I just have a picture in my head of a group of very happy, amicable people working together. But obviously, as creative people, you are going to likely have differences in opinion. How do you resolve it? And is it like wiggly like we would see on TV? Or is there like, you know, adult undertones and, and things like that? I think for the original group, three of the original members actually had trained in early childhood development at university. And so that's how the background of the music really came forward. It came with that kind of um, established instinct, um, which was really helpful because that was shared across at least three of them. Whereas the new group, Anthony carries that through, that educational background through and has taught us so much. And when the three new Wiggles, Simon and Lockie and myself, 
were in a transition period, we had a year on the road with the originals to learn as much as we possibly could. So we did a Wiggles in training year. And so that was really important for us to learn what is appropriate in terms of language for children and songs and music Mm -hmm. and dances. But now with the pandemic, we've kind of had this moment where we've had to stop and reflect and go, okay, what's really important to make Mm -hmm. content? And we've actually come right back to the educational approach Mm -hmm. and tried to incorporate as much early childhood development as possible. And so most of our songs essentially is about finding what is exciting for a child. And really for a child, everything's exciting. (laughs) Ordering a plant is exciting. Mm -hmm. Feeding your dog is exciting. And so we try and uh, emulate our songs across those particular concepts that are really exciting and joyful for children. But when there is, when, you know, the great thing about having a group is that we've got four different opinions from four totally different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of throw everything on the table and then we're able to figure out really the only way that we can proceed with any kind of content is all deciding, okay, but what's best for the children? Like mm-hmm. what's going to be the most direct message? What's going to be the most logical and concrete way of describing this subject? So sometimes when we get a bit wafty, <laughs> which we tend to do, we're like, oh, this this harmony sounds nice. <laughs> then we're like, hang on a minute, let's just wait, let's stop for a second. And so I think coming back to the basics and really making sure that our content is developmentally appropriate has been a real focus for us this year. It always has been, always has been. And I think now that we've had the time to reflect, that's been really important for us. Mm-hmm. So focusing on that then, that kind of helps helps keep you out of having arguments and creative disagreements within the group yeah we I mean it's never it's never really like that it's 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 always been about um you know what kind of song is this for a child so we base the songs on different modes of play so Mm -hmm. children learn through play whether that's symbolic play role play dramatic play some songs are just listening play like Mm -hmm. like listening songs dancing songs story songs and then once you've kind of pigeonholed the song in one of those boxes you're like oh okay great so then there's kind of a direction for that particular song and most of our albums are a mixture you know it's not really a whole album of listening songs or a whole album of dancing songs we really try and uh, change it up and have variations through the albums Mm -hmm. and we're so lucky because the wiggles original have created so many amazing songs in the past that this generation don't know. So we have a mixture where it's like half original Wiggle songs that we revamp and re-instrumentalize and change the lyrics and make them more appropriate for now and then have brand new songs as well. You've, I'm sure, heard being a involved in the music in- industry, Mick Jagger brags about how he would, you know, run the equivalent of six miles per concert on stage, which is insane. But then I look at your shows, okay? So when our daughter's watching The Wiggles, you guys are constantly moving. You do sometimes on tour four shows a day. Your shows are, what, an hour long? And, I mean, like, does Mick Jagger have anything on that? Like, what kind of training do you guys have to do to be able to sing and dance and communicate with your audience? Because that's hard to do. I mean, isn't he amazing? I mean, he's got... (laughs) He's got age on us, so he's definitely done more miles than us. (laughs) But Mick Jagger does ballet, so I think that's a real testament to his, you know, upkeep. Mm -hmm. He he swears by doing ballet. And so I think for me I feel really lucky that I I grew up in that discipline of dance. That's been so helpful for me and I 
I try and keep that up. And actually, one of my all-time favorite styles of dance is Irish dancing. And I grew up dancing Irish after seeing it on the Wiggles. And yesterday I did an Irish dancing exam and I felt so old. <laughs> and, it, you know, I, I think that's one of those styles that, I mean, dance in general, you kind of get to an age where your dancing and performing career is over because you don't have as much stamina or upkeep as mm. you used to. And I definitely felt that yesterday. <laughs> Sorry, what is the Wiggles connection with Irish dancing? Because I know like Anthony plays the bagpipes, you do beautiful Irish yeah. dancing. So what, where does that come from? So Anthony grew up actually in the army and he was part of the pipes and drums band in the army. Oh, wow. And so he learned bagpipes very early on and actually had grown up with that Celtic kind of style of music. Part of his background is is from Ireland. And so I think over the years that kind of it filtered through the Wiggles music mm-hmm. and a lot of the dancing and the original Dorothy the Dinosaur, she owned an Irish dancing school. And so lots of the dancing and the music had that feel to it. Mm-hmm. And it changed over the years. And then when I came back, I said to him, I actually started Irish because I used to watch when you started Irish dancing on the Wiggles. He's like, really? He's like, oh, well, we have to do that again. <laughs> and now he's reinvigorated his love for the bagpipes. But the bagpipes in his background in music is very Scottish, mm-hmm. which is really different to what I remember as a child, which is very Irish. And so he and I have our island Scotland um, debate constantly. And yesterday I said to him, I'm doing an Irish dancing exam. He's like, okay, when you finish your Irish dancing, will you do your Highland dancing exams? And I was like, maybe. <laughs> so, you know, we're blending. I've been all about Irish music and things lately. I watch a show called Outlander and I'm totally obsessed with it. And you should get on the Scottish Highland dancing because I, I think that would be amazing and that would fit my vibe. But if it was up to you, what kind of musical influences would you bring into Wiggles music? I mean, I I guess that's, I mean, I love Irish music. I like anything that's really instrumental and dancey. We recently performed and we've done a few collaborations with the Canadian band, the East Pointers. Where Whereabouts are you guys based? Uh, just outside of Toronto. Oh, so the East <laughs> Pointers are from PEI. And oh, so cool. every time we come over there, we perform with them and they have been to Australia a few times. So we've incorporated their folk Celtic vibe into our new album, which is out now, which is called, it's got a very long name, Choo Choo Trains, Propeller Planes and Choo Choo Chugga Chugga Big Red Car. And <laughs> the East Pointers uh, joined us for that song and really changed uh, the instrumentation of the Wiggles music for this latest album. So we're thrilled to have them. That's our Canadian connection uh, oh, nice. for this album. I love that. And I I like that you guys do try to reach out to, you know, so many different nationalities and and just children all over the world. And even you, I mean, you know sign language. What prompted you to learn that and integrate that? I grew up with two deaf friends and they were actually the brothers of my best friend at school. She is hearing and her brothers are deaf. And I was just so excited and like inspired. Uh, We would go over to their house. And we were really young. We must have been about seven or eight at the time when we first met. And I was so excited that I thought, because I thought that it was like dancing, like a secret language with their hands. And I would ask them, like, you know, what's, I'd point to things in the room, like, oh, what's the sign for that? What's the sign for that? And we would, we would hang out every day after school mm-hmm. with them. And so from that point on, I was always inspired to learn the language and have actually very lazily learned the language over, you know, about 15 years. And now I've decided, no, I need to learn it properly. So I've gone back to university to learn it properly. So I'm in my diploma, but for Australians, which is called Auslan. And so it's been really uh, 
I don't know, it's really inspired me to mm-hmm. actually knuckle down and learn it properly and to connect with the deaf community even more so here in Australia. It's not as big as it is overseas in Canada and America. Mm-hmm. ASL over there is huge and it's really widely supported. Are you not getting your PhD, like not just a diploma? Are you working on a PhD? That's a separate course. <laughs> okay, because I, I, I thought that had something to do with um, sign. It does. It does. And it as I started to do the PhD, which is I'm, I'm trying to research more about creative integration of sign language and dance and film. And so that's kind of where the PhD has been living for the last like five years. Mm-hmm. Um, it just feels like an ongoing, ever, ever continuing research project. Um, but I, I truly um, love uh, researching that area. And I think I feel very fortunate that most of my work actually involves that kind of area of study. So they feed off each other, things that I learn at the Wiggles I can incorporate into my PhD study and then vice versa. If I read things over there, I'm like, oh, great. That might be a better way we can visualise this concept and then bring it over to the Wiggles. But as I was moving forward with the PhD, I realised that I really wanted to make sure that my sign language comprehension was as good as it could be Mm -hmm. Um, because I'm certainly not fluent, but I'm very, uh, I've grown up with the community. So I feel like I assign anyway and and can include myself in conversation, but I'm not able to interpret. And that's something that I would love to be able to achieve and make sure that my sign language is is as correct as it possibly could Mm -hmm. be. So I I decided to go back and do that at a different uni. So I'm doing them concurrently. (laughs) And so... (laughs) Um, they they help each other, which is which is wonderful. I don't know why I didn't do it earlier, to be honest, but I was on tour. <laughs> Emma, Emma, your your work ethic like makes me sweat and it makes me exhausted. <laughs> uh, it's it's really amazing, and I just wanted to pivot because I know that you are you know you're such an inspiration for dancers. You are reaching out to so many communities, the deaf community, one of them. And also the community of women that suffers from endometriosis. And I know that we also had more listeners reaching out and saying, thank you for being a spokesperson for that community. Uh, In fact, we have Shane's stepmother living with us right now to help us take care of our kids. And she had stage four endometriosis uh, when she was younger. Really, really difficult. She wanted children. Uh, She was unable to have children. so, So she was lucky to find Shane. (laughs) And, uh, it was, it was really difficult. She had three laparoscopies, if I'm saying that correctly in, in this effort to have kids. And she kind of, she kind of grieves that time of her life. Like she was describing to me the other day as like a death of that, that period of her life and the way she thought her life was going to go. And I know that you suffered also from stage four endometriosis. And was that similar to your experience or what was that? What was that like for you? I think, I I mean, I feel pretty silly because I feel that I must have been in this pain for a long time but thought that it was normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but being, being a dancer, I was like, oh, you know, it just keep going, like whatever, you know, you know, when you do the splits, that's stressful. Um, you know, when you're dancing, that's tiring. Um, and I just thought that it was part of that. I didn't really notice it until it got quite bad mm-hmm. um, and once I was diagnosed, I was having a surgery within two months' time. So at that stage, it was pretty, um, it was pretty abrupt, and I was like, "Oh, okay, wow, okay, this has been going on." I didn't really realize, and mm-hmm. I think um, at that time, when we knew that I would have to take time off the shows, which was the first time ever, it was really for us about making sure that the children felt okay 
that I wasn't going to be at the show. So I had, I was, I thought, well, I'm going to need to explain myself because it's going to be pretty weird if I'm not there or, you know, we just wanted to make sure that we could be really open with families. And honestly, I just didn't realise the kind of reach or how many women were affected at that time. Mm-hmm. And I had I had just gone on a morning program in Australia here to just explain why I wouldn't be on the tour, but that I really two dear friends of ours were going to be covering my role over a period of two tours. And the response, I wasn't even, um, I didn't even think that it had affected people in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. I think with endometriosis, it, it's so different in every person. And I'm so sorry about your stepmother. Three laparoscopies is, is just, mm-hmm. yeah. I can't even imagine, but it's the, it's the story that I hear so often because if the surgery doesn't quite work the first time or if, it, if, if your endometriosis is really bad, it comes back. Um, it just doesn't go away. Yeah. So it's really about managing it. And mm-hmm. so I, that's my biggest fear, having to have that surgery again. But it's really such a big lifestyle change in terms of what you're eating and how you're exercising and to try and manage how you'll manage from that point on. I guess I feel slightly fortunate that I, I found it young Yeah, yeah. And it's something that we're constantly learning about. It's It's a shame, really, that we're not able to diagnose it earlier, mm-hmm. um, even though there is a lot more science and a lot more education about the early early signs of endometriosis now. Um, but it's something that you don't know until you're in the surgery, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, there's some amazing specialists that can pick it. They're like, I've seen this before. <laughs> those are those symptoms. But you won't know until you have the surgery. And there are cases where some women go into the surgery having all of those symptoms, but then they don't have endometriosis. Wow. Yeah. It's a strange time that we're in for this particular disease, but hopefully over time we will be able to find out more and be able to help more women so that there's not as much suffering. Mm -hmm. But it is really about managing it, I think. So being a children's performer and having people know about your personal life, it seems like a little bit at odds. Like in Canada, when I was growing up, there was a guy named Mr. Dress Up, Ernie Coombs, and I never knew anything about him. But obviously, you, you you brought a lot to, to light about endometriosis. But do you feel like you opened maybe the door into your personal life and everyone just wanted to come right in? Yeah, and it's, you know, it has positives and negatives. You know, mm-hmm. the positive is that I've heard so many stories like mm-hmm. your stepmom and people, you know, lots of mothers come up to me at the show and say, it's okay, I've, I had endometriosis and these are my two children. And, like, people are actually, you know, very sweet in the fact that they want to encourage me to not feel worried if I'm not able to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, their intention and their heart is in the right spot because they they want to, uh, you know, let me know that not everything's as bad as it is, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, For me, I'm not really at that time yet. I feel like I still have a lot more things to do, but you're right. It it does open the door. And the positive is that you hear so many beautiful stories Mm -hmm. about families and even other things like, oh, um, you know, my child learned ballet because she saw you dancing it on on the Wiggles and we're so grateful. And, you know, that's lovely. You know, it's so nice that our content is inspiring children to Mm -hmm. do the same. But at the same time, yeah, it comes with, with the the people that are outside your house and they're taking pictures and you don't know. And, you know, I never, I didn't expect that. And it can happen at any time. Like it happened this week. And I was like, why? (laughs) I only have goats. (laughs) It's not that exciting in the backyard. The noise is goats. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, yeah, when Alex actually, when we told people you're coming on, like she said, people were over the moon excited and she got so many questions. But a lot of them were asking about how is she really OK with Lockie and traveling? <laughs> and do you think the reason people have a hard time believing that you guys are actually good friends is because it's rare or because it's less interesting if you're everything's fine? Probably both. Um, and I think it, I think Lockie and I are, our, our friendship and our relationship is actually really special. Mm. <laughs> and so I think, um, you know, I really value him as part of my life and always will. Mm. I'm so grateful that we met and that we actually transitioned in this journey together. Like really out of everybody, the only person that um, went through the same journey as myself is Lockie. And mm -hmm. so both of us know what that's like to start with the company and then become Wiggle. We, we were in the Dorothy show before yeah. when Dorothy the Dinosaur had her own show. And then we joined as Wiggles and we were Wiggles in training. And, you know, we spent so much of our lives together that it would be so weird if it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And so for us to recognise that this is just the way that our friendship happened and that we were able to still be the best of friends of what people really like people obviously don't see us but we see each other every day <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i'm so grateful for that because um he truly is my best friend and i think you're right i think it's rare i think it, and people if they had a hard time in a relationship they probably wouldn't see each other every day they probably you know go into two different lives and you know have two different pathways but our our journey as wiggles and as friends is together and so mm -hmm. for us it was so important to you know make sure that we knew where we were heading um you know from that point on i i truly people <laughs> people don't realize but we are we talk every single day and i'm so happy that he found his new partner dana who mm -hmm. i was actually my friend before he was his no way. <laughs> And she is a beautiful ballerina. Like I used to watch her on the stage and I'm so happy for them that they've, they've had two beautiful girls. Have you seen the twins? I, I saw just saw it. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. And I joked with Lockie last night uh, because Lockie is actually not in the same state as us at the moment because obviously they've, they've right. had to go and, you know, the birth of the, the beautiful girls and they've been, they're in a different state. So they can't come into our state mm -hmm. at the moment. And I, I joked with him last night and I said, you've sent so many more pictures of the twins to my mom than me. I was like, why? why? I haven't seen half of these pictures. I was like, my mom showed me the cutest pictures of Lottie and Lulu. And I was like, where am I? He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot to send them to you. Oh, here's a picture. <laughs> so, uh, you know, look, we're so happy that the girls arrived safely. Mm -hmm. um, and, look, when you get a chance to meet Dana, you'll, she's beautiful and one of Australia's most beautiful dancers. So we're very lucky to have her as part of our extended family. Yeah. And truly, the Wiggles family, because we're so used to travelling all the time, yeah. we're like a circus. You know, everybody is like we see each other, our Wiggly family, more than our own family. Mm -hmm. So that is the way of our life. We are a circus family and that's the way that it works for us. And it's amazing. It's a beautiful family to be a part of. And so I'm very lucky to have been here um, up to this stage, you know, 10 years, which is yeah. crazy. Yeah. That's wild. Right? So most people in the Wiggle universe are in relationships with each other. Do you think it would be possible to have a relationship outside of this traveling circus, as you put it? I think, I think, yes, I think. And I think as the world becomes more digital, 
there's so many more options for people to stay connected mm-hmm. um you know and 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 essentially families do this kind of long distance communication so much so so more often than us yeah <laughs> you know fam- families that don't they're not born in the same village and grow up there mm-hmm. and stay there anymore it's so much more accessible for families to happen and then um depart and be in different countries and you know, have grandparents in the UK and then the cousins are over in Canada. And, you know, it's it's such a different world now that people are used to connecting like yeah. this. So, look, I know it would be it would be stressful and it would be possibly you just have to make a really big effort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is definitely possible. And I think now as the world is changing with, um, you know, the, the change with coronavirus, it allows us uh, for a possibility to tr- to slightly change the way that our tour is structured, so that people are able to spend more time with their families. And so now, with Lockie with twins, and Simon is expecting next year as well. Yes, we we as a company and as a group and as a family, we have to figure out how we're going to change our model so that we can still allow for them to have their family time, which is so important, and still reach families all across the world. So digitally. This has helped us transition into this period because we want to be able to, you know, service both categories here. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important for us as a family to support each other and then in turn that will support everybody else. Yeah, it's it's, it's amazing to hear how you all work and how you do function as that family unit. And I think about Shane and I working together for this podcast and it – really like infiltrates every second of our day, every single day for the better or for the worse. And, you know, we might be arguing during setup and everything like that when, you know, tensions are a little high and we're a little hot. Every setup we we argue, (laughs) we do. I think every time. But then after every single interview or after every single, you know, when it's just the two of us recording, we feel so much better and there is so much release and we can be proud together. And clearly, you know, you were saying how you and Lockie have so much affection for each other and everybody within the Wiggles. But does does it ever make it more contentious because it is that that family kind of atmosphere? And you're, I think it's just comfortable. Like yeah, how comfortable com- comfort can breed yeah. that, yeah. I think um, we couldn't really imagine it any other way. Mm-hmm. We're so, I think we're lucky to have that comfort with each other. I think it would be harder if it wasn't. Um, but because we know each other so well, you know people's dynamics too. Because mm-hmm. we are basically living on the road together prior to coronavirus, you know everyone's, you know, nuances and personalities. Mm-hmm. So it's something that you, we, essentially, as a group, we've been living together for 10 years. <laughs> so, you know, it's not like, you know, doing a job from nine to five and then going home and separating from each mm-hmm. other. It's being together all the time, like 24 hours a day. And in a way, sometimes that way of life actually feels more comfortable for us yeah. because that's the way that there's such a close bond within that group. And our our banter on stage and our chatter and our, like the way that we can um, finish each other's sentences and interact with each other, I think are certainly a product of how close we are as a group outside mm-hmm. the show. Um, you know, the show is really the fun part and really it's the travelling that can be quite gruelling, mm-hmm. but we're all in it together and we all experience it together and I think because we have experienced 
all of these times together, that actually makes us closer. Yeah. Do you feel when you're done work that it's a welcome reprieve or are you like restless that you want to do something? Because you're so, your inertia is pushed in the mode of always doing things. I think it's a bit of both. Uh, I think we're, I think initially with the lockdown, we were like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? But then this has actually taught us to to sit back and look at look at the content mm-hmm. um, and and look at how we can uh, yeah reach other people in in ways that we weren't able to before. You know, it's not physically possible for us to visit every city in the world, and so many times when we do travel, we're not able to make every city between A and B, mm-hmm. and so. If we're able to do, if we're able to change our model and be really flexible to the time and use these experiences, even to have this conversation with you is so nice. Yeah, it's not likewise. like you have to travel to Toronto, even though we love Toronto. And we'd, we'd have, love you. To have you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, we don't tend to do in the past. Traditionally, our media wouldn't normally happen unless we we're in a country, mm-hmm. and so this is so nice to connect with people and hear the accent that we would normally hear at this time of year, <laughs> you know, but from our own home. And, and we've had the chance to be able to perform on Canadian TV shows in the last couple of months via Zoom and, you know, see so many um, presenters and producers and, and people that we would normally see. So I think it allows for us to be able to have these kinds of conversations, mm. um, not the seasonally, and I mean seasonally as in our tour season. Mm-hmm. I It'd be lovely to be able to have um, this kind of connection more often. Mm-hmm. There's performers like Bruce Springsteen. They kind of have their fans for like 40 years, let's say. Do you ever wish you could have a stranglehold on your audience the way someone like a Bob Dylan or Bruce Springsteen does? Like, you know, because it's like, is it three years that they're the biggest fans mm-hmm. of yours? And and I think um, if families have other siblings within mm-hmm. them, then that that time can extend itself. So it might be five years as if there's mm-hmm. it depends on the right. age gap. And so the older sibling, even if they're about seven, they'll still come to the show and they love the show live, even though they feel maybe at home that they've grown out of it or they've grown out of the wiggles. And our our age group is very much focused on a preschool audience. But when we do our, our big tour and our arena shows, we have children of all ages come to the show because it's like fancy lights and like the big red cars driving through. We've got Dorothy walking through the audience and it becomes this huge spectacle. Mm-hmm. And so it really is a family show. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the most interesting thing about the Wiggles as a group is that it's not just a three-year stint. It feels that the parents now were the children back then when they first started. And so the parents back then and now the grandparents now and this generational thing is is ticking over and sometimes we have parents that come to the show their children might be slightly out of our age bracket, but they're coming for themselves mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. to relive their nostalgic childhood and yeah. when we were doing the original lineup tour the reunion tour, um, not the reunion tour but the last year of the original um, lineup we had such a broad diverse age group come to the show so that they could experience their childhood Mm -hmm. and that's so nice and so you know people sharing their experiences of how they used to watch the wiggles as children however we should note that lots of our um, audience members aren't children Mm -hmm. and they might be adults with uh, additional needs whether that's asperger's or autism or you know some of those young adults have been following the group since they were little 
and it's a, still a huge part of their lives. Mm. And so those particular fans are extremely important to the Wiggles. And that's why we did our year in training as Wiggles. We didn't want to do our changeover really quickly. Mm-hmm. We wanted to make sure that we could introduce ourselves as people and as characters to those people who don't like change necessarily that much. And so we were able to introduce ourselves as characters as part of the bigger show so that they felt more comfortable with the change of lineup. And that was strategically done. We needed to make sure that everybody in our audience was catered for with our changeover period. But we, you know, when we tour in America and Canada, and generally it's only once a year, we have fans that come to see Anthony because they grew up with Anthony. And that is lovely. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to my next question. 30 years from now, I go to a wiggle show. Are you going to be there? Yes. <laughs> I made a pact with Jeff. Jeff wiggled till he was 60. And I was like, right, Jeff, I got a lot of wiggling to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jeff's amazing. He he uh, performed, you know, he was one of the oldest wiggle, but, you know, did such an amazing job. And recently, which I don't think you can see in Canada at the moment, but Last week, we performed a show online for Facebook Live, but it was just for Australia currently because we're going to try and share it with the rest of the world soon. But Lockie couldn't obviously be there. And so Jeff filled in. And it was so nice to have Jeff be a part of the group. I mean, obviously, we we see Jeff a lot. um, And he, you know, hangs out and plays on our tracks. And, you know, that's all cool. But to actually be part of the lineup and Mm -hmm. to be standing there with him, um, you know, it was such a such a special moment for us to be able to perform with Jeff. And and likewise, right at the beginning of the year, we had the Wiggle, the original Wiggles did a, a reunion gig. And so we had all the original Wiggles there and and the new Wiggles and 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 performers that had performed in the original videos come together to perform in a, in an amazing concert. And that kind of special Wiggles energy and magic is is something that, yeah, it just transcends so many different yeah. generations. Do the other Wiggles feel the same as you about longevity? Or do you feel some petering out? Well, now they've got children. <laughs> but that, that means that they're going to have some really good case studies, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I think, I think you know, especially for Lockie and Simon, I think they're going to find so much joy and inspiration in their own journey now mm-hmm. becoming new parents. Mm-hmm. Um, that will actually give us more invigoration for parenthood of today. So I, there's no petering out yet. They're, they're in for the long haul, and I'm thrilled to be part of that group. Okay, Emma, we're just going to take a quick break to let our listeners know that we are supported by... We are supported by Beluga Baby. Beluga Baby's wrap carriers allow you to hold and comfort your baby hands-free with their unique four-way stretch bamboo fabric. Studies show that baby wearing can reduce crying by 40%. Baby crying has stopped by at like 80% in our household when I'm wearing them. It does. And it's not just good for moms, but it's good for dads, grandparents, uncles, aunts, whoever. What about cousins? I mean, if you if you love your cousins, why not? If you got them over babysitting, then for sure get them in one. But since you can use your Beluga wrap straight from birth, you'll be giving yourself a way calmer postpartum, and it has been so much calmer in our house. The fabric is so light and airy that you don't feel confined in any way, and the bounce helps with baby's gas and colic, and Betty is a farty baby, so I really find this helps a ton. With a very farty mommy, but what I like too <laughs> is that they're stylish. They are. They look adorable. We just got the Joni, and it is 
tie-dye, which is so cool. But not only are they stylish, they are certified hip healthy by the International Hip Dysplasia Institute. And there's free shipping across Canada and the US. So go to belugababy.com or .ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 at checkout for 10% off. Again, that is belugababy.com or .ca and thisfamilytree10. But we are also supported by Mini Miosh. Mini Miosh is a Toronto brand that makes premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing. They use GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact and non-toxic dyes. They have the best basics for your littles. Timeless wardrobe staples that can be passed from kid to kid regardless of the gender. And Betty and Lucy, like we already know, we're pumping their wardrobe full of mini miosh because they're going to be sharing. And let's say you might not have the most photogenic child. You throw them in some mini miosh and they're going to look like a movie star. (laughs) That's a Shane Cunningham guarantee. And not only does Mini Miosh make adorable clothing, but they believe in quality over quantity and they're on a mission to leave the planet better for our little ones than when they arrived on it. You can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Insta and Facebook. Use the promo code thisfamilytree15 at checkout for 15% off. Again, that is minimiosh.com and thisfamilytree15. I'm only mad they don't make clothing for adults, and I'm serious about that. We are also supported by Hape Toys. Hape Toys are one of the world's largest producers of toys made from sustainable materials like bamboo. And these toys will make your kids Hape. I used to think it was (laughs) Hape, but no. It's pronounced Hape, which is so fitting because these toys, it makes me happy just watching Lucy play with them. They're the classic toys. They're the wooden toys. They're... Something that I think Lou's going to play with for a long, long time. Oh, for sure. And not only are they like the classic wooden toy, but they have cutting edge technology that helps your child learn. Lucy has a little piano by Hoppe. She is kind of like it. She plays the actual piano keys. It sounds amazing. I don't like throwing around terms like, oh, my daughter's the next Mozart, but... Thank you, Hoppe, for the scholarship (laughs) in advance to Juilliard. And mom and dad are Hoppe as well because Hoppe toys are designed creatively and are eco-friendly. They meet and exceed the strictest international standards for quality and safety, made from things like bamboo, recycled cardboard, organic inks, and water-based colors. And you can also feel good about the fact that they launched the We Care, We Share charity, which is a global program that helps children in need, and they've built three schools to offer kids access to education. Because children do not play to learn, they learn because they play. But let's get to the second half of this interview with Emma Watkins. You're not going to want to miss this. So you guys have so much respect in, you know, households like ours, you know, the people that go and visit you and see your shows for just nostalgia. And I'm always so curious when you're a children's performer, a children's singer, songwriter, or musical group, how you're looked at within, you know, the Australian music scene. And you're, I know, like, isn't Murray known as the king of guitars? The general consensus is that he's a rock god (laughs) and a guitar legend. And so I think being, being in that group and how they um, infiltrated that childhood for those people at that time. The people remember the Wiggles as their first musical experience. And so it becomes a very um, like instinctive, passionate, heartfelt connotation to them. And so they're like, ah, Wiggles, I, yeah, I grew up with it. They're real, you know, it's amazing, real music. I think something that's really important for us as a group mm. is that 
we remain to play live instruments as much as possible in a world that's become so digital. However, digital components can can actually help us and improve our um, you know our content going forward. But it is amazing that all of our music is arranged over real instruments. Yeah. But you you bring up a good point, and I think I think some some people's perception of the Wiggles is that it's for kids. Mm-hmm. And so it, the music isn't, it's not proper. But I think that that's something that because the Wiggles have been going for such a long period of time, it's a testament to how amazing the music really is because mm-hmm. some of the music is timeless. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, actually our tracks, not as opposed to other people's, but we, we actually really think about the content of our of each specific song so heavily that not me because I'm not a musician, but the others that this is serious music in its own right, and we make sure that the music that we create is quality and that it's appropriate for children, and that it's exposing them to different genres of music from all around the world. Um, so I learned to play the drums with the group, and um, have tried to have drum lessons so that I can be part of the band That's awesome. um, and the rhythm section, a bit of shaker, you know, that kind of vibe. And I, look, I love being part of it, but, you know, for people like Anto is one of those people that basically picks up an instrument and can play it, yeah. um, just one of those crazy musical geniuses. And he's very musical in his mind, so he knows what a track needs and what it's missing and what, it, what it's got too much of. But, you see, Lockie is amazing. It, the way that he plays piano and his voice, it's so musical. He's such a musical person. Mm-hmm. That's just him. He's just, that's that's his vibe. Yeah. Jeff is the best keyboard players I've ever heard, ever. Like you just get him in a room and he's like, ding, 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 ding. like <laughs> unbelievable. Murray, amazing guitarist. Like we have some of Australia's best musicians as mm. part of this, this band, which is so cool. <laughs> and I think, you know, children that grew up with the Wiggles and then follow the Wiggles later, they go back and watch it like, oh, wow, that music was great. So, yeah. you know, that's that's a real testament to the music itself. Absolutely. Do they get very intimidated by your dancing? <laughs> like when it comes to choreography or things, like maybe like, oh, that, we're out of our element, like she's too good. Oh, they have their own way of moving, the boys. <laughs> like it's you can't teach it, you can't influence it, you just have to go with it. And I think... Something that Anto really has is that natural energy of movement. Even some of the stuff that he naturally does, nobody can replicate Mm -hmm. because it's so natural to him and he looks so good doing it that when we all try and do it, we're like, hang on a minute. (laughs) But something that I've learned by performing with three, three guys that dance is not their number one situation Lockie always steps on the left leg because he's a left-handed, so he always goes the wrong way. Simon has a little bit of classical training, so he's generally got it, which is great, but all three of them will do something totally different, but all in the same vibe. Right. So I think that's what still keeps it that natural energy of movement. But when you watch the original footage, you can see that it had a similar thing. They weren't dancers. But they knew what movements to match with the words to make sure that it was appropriate for children and to show them what movement mm-hmm. um, instigated uh, a word. And so that's why Rock of Your Bear is one of the greatest songs of all time because it matches an action with a word and it's appropriate. And it means that everybody can join in. It's so catchy. 
Like, is that the greatest children's song of all time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, again, there's different types of songs, um, but that's a great song for young children and parents to, to, to sing along to. Did Lockie write that? No, this is pre-Lockie. Oh, okay. This is original. Oh, I thought this, I heard he wrote Anna, it. You guys are our wiggles. Oh. Lock, you know that's Lockie's biggest compliment. Oh, okay, <laughs> I don't know why I thought that. Lockie's gonna love this. <laughs> I have to in that. He's gonna be so happy with that. No, I mean that's the thing. Lockie sings it so beautifully, and for me, it reminds me so much of Greg. There's so much in Lockie's voice that reminds me of Greg. It's crazy. If you have a listen to some early tracks. There was there is a track on a Christmas album. It's a few years ago, and Lockie and Greg sang alternate lines. When they went to film, they kept singing the wrong lines because they couldn't even tell which was their voice and which was the others. Oh. It's like Greg is one of these voices that I remember growing up, and it's such an easy voice to listen to. And then you hear Lockie, and it's exact. But Lockie has a very he has a slightly more musical theatre vibe to it, but he's like a very easy, even a more step back version of Michael Bublé. Mm. Does that? Yeah. He's Canadian, it's Michael Bublé. It's very easy to listen to. So for for you to think that he did Rockaway Bear, it's probably because the the song sits so well in his voice. Mm-hmm. It's he, he sings that song so nicely, but he will take that as a compliment. I have to tell him <laughs> he's gonna love that. So Emma, I, I'm curious. So I work with children too. I'm a, I'm a high school teacher. So older <laughs> ones than you, but working with children's amazing. I love doing it for a reason. It's a vocation and, and it seems to be like it has become the same for you. And there's so many reasons why working with kids is amazing. But what do you think is the worst part about working with kids? I, I mean, for us, it's slightly different because we don't have as much connection with children as teachers mm-hmm. in a really good way. Most of our content is created without children present mm-hmm. <laughs> in the room. <laughs> so really for us, the only connection is in the live show or we meet and greet families either before the shows or whenever we can or we visit hospitals. I think not the worst part, but something that can be distressing is seeing children that might be in a very vulnerable situation mm. in a hospital or they might be terminally ill. And I think that's one of those situations that whilst it can be very rewarding, it can break your heart yeah. because you see children in a, and families in a situation where you might be bringing up moment of joy to them whether that's five minutes or half an hour or something Mm -hmm. like that but all you want to do is help and the only way that we can do that in the best way that we can is to sing and dance for a period of time to take them out of that moment so I think sometimes I feel like you get to that you get to those moments or you get to the hospital or um, that um, center and you you feel helpless Mm -hmm. Um, you don't you're not a medical expert, right? So you feel that song and dance is, is the way that we can um, assist them during that time. But for me, that sometimes can be the hardest. Mm-hmm. Um, is And because we visit the Children's Hospital here in Sydney every Christmas day, 
it's it's a beautiful day, of course, but yeah, every Christmas morning I'm driving to the uh, to the hospital. I'm like, oh, I just got to pull it together, mm-hmm. <laughs> pull it together. Don't cry. And look, generally the children are they're just happy to see us or to sing along or you know to forget about you know what's going on. But it's really the parents who suffer the yeah. most when we're there because they get very emotional and and so they should and it it can be hard for them Mm. to have that moment I think that that truly is one of the hard it can be really rewarding but it's not really it's not about us it's about the family and look we've seen some really difficult situations and people that we've met and then we find out a week later that the child has passed I mean yeah it's just the amount of times this happens to us Mm. in a year is Mm. outrageous and for children to, to see so many children pass away is also devastating. Mm. I mean, for those families, I don't know how they have to comprehend that situation. No, that's, that is a lot that you carry in that ways. I, I mean, I was going to say, you know, kids always have runny noses and it's gross, mm. but your answer was much more thoughtful and yeah. I appreciate that. But that's, that's so much and it weigh, it must weigh so heavily on you. And not just that, but like even when you were going through endometriosis and, you know, you didn't want to tell the people around you, the other group members, because you didn't want them to be upset or feel bad for you. And where do you get that part of your personality that is just so, I don't know, it's, it's like you're protecting those around you or that. Consider it to a fault, I guess. <laughs> uh, yes, sir. I mean, I just don't want to worry people. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's just, I just don't want to fuss. That <laughs> is like, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But I think I get that from my nana. And I think when my nana was passing away, she just didn't want anyone to like fuss over her. And I think I can see that stubbornness in myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get I get a lot of my traits from her. And so I was so frustrated with her. I was like, just let me help you. But that her personality is definitely me for sure. But yeah, with the endometriosis, I just also because the group were males, I didn't really know how I was going to approach the situation. I mean, obviously they're, the three nicest guys I know, um, and they they were obviously so understanding. Like as soon as mm. I told them, they're like, "Go, go, <laughs> you need go, just go." You know, that's that wasn't really my worry. I was just worried about you know how the show. Um, you know, I didn't want to leave them at the last minute, and you know, it ended up being absolutely fine. And mm. children were, you know, some children that were really young didn't know that it wasn't me. So yeah. that's great. <laughs> and so some children that were a bit older felt like they had to bring presents and cards oh, and they would no. give them to the guys that show and then they would then they would bring them to me in hospital. Oh, oh, so many beautiful and thoughtful moments. And, you know, that's something that's really special about our show is that children and families have this anticipated lead up to the show. It's a bit like, it is a bit like Christmas. Some, ch- some families will cross off the days until oh, they see us. Yeah. And so that lead up can be a, a journey in itself children make us cards and you know they make handmade bows and um you know they give roses for dorothy and seaweed for henry the octopus and i that is amazing and that's something that we see so much in canada we we get to the shows there and our you know families might be anticipating our arrival for many months you know they might purchase the tickets and then Mm. okay we've got three months for the show quickly let's make craft and then when we get there, we're just overwhelmed by the involvement of families leading up to our shows. It's it's really lovely to see. This seems like a silly question, but how much security do you need at the show? 
because I'm sure some kids just want to <laughs> bum rush you guys. And it's like, it, it, it could be awkward to if you get overwhelmed by them. It's not generally too bad. And I think with children there. You can take them, yeah. They're, they're just really happy. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I, I used to go out and walk around in the audience, but I think because I'm a lot shorter than the than the guys, I would get swamped <laughs> by parents trying to get their children back into the chair. Okay that we would have to stop we would have to stop that part of the show because people couldn't see me so the point was that if i went out into the audience that people that were sitting at the back then they could have a chance to see us up close and mm-hmm. something that we really try to make sure that we do when we when we are performing live is that we try and get as many wiggles out into the audience as possible so that people that are sitting further away have an opportunity mm-hmm. to either say hi to us or give us a high five or meet us or actually give us a bow personally so it just got to the point where I couldn't fend for myself. <laughs> I was just a little bit short. Um, so most of the time that it's, it, it works really effectively is if we drive around the arena in the big red car. Oh, nice. mm-hmm. It means that every, every child has an opportunity to, to see us and we can go out further and get around really quickly because then you're not leaving anybody out. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try to make sure that our, our shows are as inclusive as they possibly can be to children sitting wherever they are in the arena. But sometimes it is hard. But, yeah, we've had shows where we might go out five times or if we don't have time for it, it's like one person go out now, one person go out. And that kind of control of traffic, you know, that's something that Anthony just does instinctively and does it so well. You know, it's something that we never really think about. It's not like Beyonce, you know, getting lifted on an aerial over to a second <laughs> stage. But, you know, we really try and, and get as many things out into the audience as possible, whether that's inflatable giraffes or Dorothy walks around, or, you know, whatever. We really try and do that as much as we possibly can. And I bet that is so special for kids. And my last question, I'm just, I think about, you know, you were talking about the families crossing off the days until the kids get mm-hmm. to go to the Wiggle show. And that's so exciting for the kids. It is like Christmas, but yeah. that's so much pressure I would think to say, okay, this is maybe the one time in this kid's life where they get to go to a concert, see their favorite act, and that's me, and I've got to put on this great show for them. And like, how do you energize yourself every day? Is there a ritual, a routine to get yourself in the headspace where you are going to make these kids happy and fulfilled? I think that's every show is really special. And that's what we we mean about the wish list. Mm-hmm. Um, every single show has a different <laughs> wish list, even if the wish list is the same one that's printed from yesterday to today. Mm-hmm. It ends up being a totally different show. It's the, the best thing about working for children is that they are so spontaneous in their responses and they'll yell out. Like they're not afraid. They're going to yell out song requests in the middle of a song, at the beginning of a song, <laughs> at the end of a song. Like all of those requests are what keeps the show alive Mm -hmm. and so for us you never really know what you're going to expect I just know okay if I put my bow on I've got my costume on I've got my dance shoes on I just need to be as flexible as I possibly can be for this particular show and then the show just takes its own course and when we get requests for songs that might be from the original generation of the Wiggles or songs we haven't done for a while it always stumps us but then we find a way to make sure that that song gets played for that child and that's what makes the show hilarious, even for us. You know, we're like, who remembers that choreography? Do you remember what key is that in? And, you know, that, you know, finding that out is, is as funny for us as it is for the parents um, because we're trying to figure out what that song, you know, was and what mm-hmm. the words were. And you know, I think, honestly, 
it's just not like being in a show that is staged or scripted. It's so free and it reflects in the audience. Mm -hmm. And I think the show, that's the only way the show can be because the audience is so free themselves. They don't have really any guidelines. They're just there to have fun. And so that completely comes at you as soon as the curtain opens or as soon as you run out. Every audience has a sea of children that are like loving life. They're like, (laughs) and so you can't really ever negate that. It's, it's amazing. My last question is just, can I see your goat? Yeah. Let me go and do this. Hang on. (laughs) So I've never done this, by the way, this is going to be so wonderful. This is a real first. Uh, I'm so excited. This is fantastic. I'm excited. This is the uh, this family tree exclusive. Okay, so it's a very sad story, which I haven't really announced to anybody. But my poor little goat passed away, and um, I think as we were talking about how people are, they feel it. This is my house. <laughs> <laughs> as people feel it, look, there's my washing machine. <laughs> oh, <hey. laughs> this has never happened. Um, as people um, feel like they know you, they're part, you know so many. So many of the songs in the Emma, you know, kind of identity have goats in them, mm-hmm. and uh, people tend to know, tend to know that I love goats. So I will have to probably tell people today after this that my goat is not here. Um, but <laughs> this is hilarious. I'm so, so excited! Oh my gosh! Oh, two goats! Oh my gosh! Hi guys! This, this goat here, I've had him for. Um, about a year now and so he's the one that lost his brother and so he was crying on the weekend Mm. and so he has a new friend and this is the new friend oh emma they're so do they get along already like was there any adjustment this this one's very alpha um this is dolce and he just is so he really is friendly as you can see like he really wants to eat my costume um <laughs> he's probably never seen this costume this close actually no he has and he just wants to be around all the time but he was crying when the other one passed away so this one we had to this one we had to match with his personality and this oh is a little, a little girl goat. sorry that's my dog jealous always oh, jealous yeah this is peaches oh hi peaches Emma, she's adorable <laughs> and she has a little bit of feistiness about it and that's good because it matches him. And um, if he, I couldn't pick a baby because even, see, look. <laughs> I couldn't pick a baby goat, even though I love baby goats, because um, he's a bit too old. So you have to find them that, so I spent an hour trying to choose out of about 50. This is, this is hilarious. Oh, my wow, goodness. This is, this is the most hilarious interview this is my favorite this has become my absolute favorite interview of all time we have never had uh the goat tour we i've never had the goat tour myself (laughs) um i'll just try he wants to come and say hi to you yes i'm just trying to get to eat the not to eat the computer oh my goodness hi Hi, dolce Dolce. (laughs) (laughs) how much he loves you hi Hi. dolce oh so good oh you're so cute I think he's also a bit sad. Aww. Do I look like a goat whisperer? <laughs> uh, he's just, he, he lost his friend. Aww, I'm sorry. I know. That is so hard. He's a bit, he's a bit 
I didn't know that they had connections like that or like um where you'd be able to hear them like crying. I think uh, he's just like yelling yeah. when they when they're like mm-hmm. when they're making a really big noise. But he for sure uh, can feel the pain. You think, eh? Well, I think he's confused as to where he is because um, I actually took him to the vet hospital um, before. I didn't think that he wouldn't come back. Mm-hmm. I'll just stay here so you can see the goats. Um, I didn't think that he wouldn't come home, the other one. So I took him out the side and out the gate, and now he goes to the gate to look for him. Oh. Yeah. Because he's trying to figure out where he is. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't, like, I mean, how do you know? But yeah. I think because they've been together for over a year and they're the only two here, whereas mm-hmm. this other one has been with about... 30 other goats so she's just like where's all the, where's all the where's all the party friends but because he was with the only the one he's like well there was a goat here yesterday and now there's no goat goat math and so she's a little bit more um she is kind of used to a herd mm-hmm. but as you can see they've they've been pretty good together they're adorable oh my goodness yeah such a cute team you have there of animals and then that's your dog in the is that a dog in the background there no, that's just a pop lamp. It might be a bush turkey. Oh, okay, right, right. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Australia. Welcome to Australia, mate. <laughs> um, well, I I guess, you know, we've we've gotten the GOAT tour. I yes. think I think you're the GOAT in terms of interview, and that's an acronym for greatest of all time, which I'm sure you know. Uh, but I do want to promote here this. I got a note about you have a DVD, The Wiggles is Emma to dance spectacular we we want to promote that right and it's out now it's in out north now. america that's huge that's huge what it's else really exciting. it's a selection of episodes from the the emma series too so awesome. it's uh you know we're thrilled that it, it it is on it is on tv but it's now available so that parents and families can watch it in their own homes parents might be like that's enough Emma but actually <laughs> for the children it means that they can watch it whenever they want you can never get enough of the Elvis of the Wiggles though and I think especially <laughs> if you ask somebody like we have a two and a half year old daughter if you ask her definitely could not get enough and Shane is there anything else that we got there uh they recently debuted their new broadcast series 2018's Wiggle 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 it's on their YouTube channel and uh, the Wiggles world will feature many exciting surprises and Wiggles first, including which is coming out, yeah. which is coming out at cor- on Chorus on Treehouse, and it's our brand new series, The Wiggles World, which we're thrilled about. So you'll have to check that out when what, it comes out. When does that come out? I think it's next month. Next month. And of course, as you mentioned, there's Choo Choo Trains, Propeller Planes, Toot Toot, Chugga Chugga, <laughs> Big Red Car. Am I saying this right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. All right. Choo Choo Trains propeller planes and toot toot chugga chugga big red car and we're going to be doing the propeller i'm sure every saturday morning at our house when that does come out because again that's that's my favorite one personally because i feel like i can master those moves i'm no ballerina emma (laughs) and of course follow emma on instagram which is emma wiggle is that it that's it emma underscore wiggle there you go perfect emma Thank you so much for sitting down with us and for showing us the goats. We truly appreciate it. And you're, you've got the debut of the goat, but you don't need her bottom. <laughs> <laughs> no, we really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, you are so sweet. We we truly love this interview. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Bye, Dolce. Bye. Take care.
And that was Emma Watkins. Shane, like, were you as starstruck as I was when she first came on? Well, you know how I felt when she first came on. I was well, <laughs> I, I was going doo-doo in my pants because she was wearing the outfit. It's like if you went to interview the, the guy who did the voice of Mickey Mouse and he was dressed as Mickey Mouse as you were talking to him. But uh, she was very disarming at, at first because she was the character. But then she's just so kind that you feel like you're talking to a friend and she comforts you. See, I became so obsessed with the Wiggles in general and especially with Emma when Lucy started getting into them because they just have such fascinating backstories. And they, okay, their touring schedule is so intense, like more intense than so many rock bands. And honestly, it's funny because when you're thinking about you know, so much work and then pairing it with what we just saw and how we spoke to Emma and her demeanor and everything. She just seems so happy-go-lucky. And then to think that she had gone through all this crazy crap and painful, horrendous, you know, endometriosis, like, I just, I, I can't picture that. And uh, it, it made me really feel for her. But yeah, no, she was amazing. But yeah, very, uh, very grateful that she came on. And I want to thank her again. Not that she's listening, but if she is, thank you so much. But let's go on to Dr. Michael Gervais. Now, he had a cool, eerily calm almost vibe about him. Tom Cruise. Yeah. And I mean that in a complimentary way. I am Mm -hmm. a a Tom Cruise fan. Some people (laughs) aren't. But I, I found him very calming no he was he was very cool but again so this time i was kind of crapping my pants when he started because before we started recording he said well hold on guys now first tell me about you and tell me about your audience and why do you want to talk to me today anytime somebody starts that way i'm always like uh imposter syndrome kicks in i'm like i'm I'm really cool and i I work here and and i'm like oh do i if i fail this part is he just gonna back out of the interview i thought it was psychological test too not psychological test i just thought it's like should i bother even doing this interview and then after the interview i'm feeling weird because sometimes you know the the zoom interview ends and when we say bye Mm -hmm. on air we'll just exit yeah but this time, since he did a preamble, I, I decided to do like a postamble. So I like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, let's stick around and have like a postmortem. And I was like, you're going to be on a really good episode. He's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, Emma from the Wiggles is going to be on. <laughs> and then I'm, he's like, oh. And for someone who maybe doesn't have small children, they might he might be thinking, oh, Emma from the Wiggles. Am I on a children's show? So Michael, Dr. Michael might have been like, I'm going to be on a kid's show? I know. I know. But but you know what? Even if you do have kids, if you haven't necessarily gone down the Wiggles rabbit hole and know how hard they work, like really, Michael, Dr. Michael Gervais works with people like Emma. Like she is an elite level performer. You know? I agree. Yeah. It's just he didn't. I don't think he knew that. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. So I felt like a bit of a fool. But let's get to this interview. I think everyone listening is going to glean a lot from it. Oh, big time. Big time. All right. Hope you enjoy. but first wait alex do you know how the structure of the show works then i go but first i'm gonna let alex tell us who we are supported by bravado designs bravado designs make the world's best nursing bras one of which i'm wearing right now shane how do i look you look amazing and if you can't trust alex trust me these are the (laughs) best bras ever i talk about the comfort every week but give this a feel this material what does that feel like Stretchy and soft. Yeah, it feels like butter. Basically, you can get their nursing bras and their everyday collection, which just came out. They have no clips, but the same juicy comfort for your boobs 
at at ca.bravadodesigns.com or you can go to their American website bravadodesigns.com where they have their classic OG nursing bras and at either website you can use the promo code thisfamilytree20 to get 20% off and if you're in stores tell them Shane sent you (laughs) it won't get you a discount but they'll know I sent you (laughs) we are also supported by Routine Deodorant is tricky. The chemical kind is questionable and natural deodorants never, never, never work, at least for me and from what I smell, Shane, too. Never, ever. (laughs) So Routine's effective base is made with antimicrobial ingredients and cool stuff like dietary magnesium, which releases your armpits from the burden of stress sweats or breastfeeding sweats or postpartum hormonal sweats. Or just man stress sweats, which I find more intense than anything else. They are pretty intense. And honestly, like it's shocking to me that routine tackles it so well they have sticks and cream deodorants we are using the cream one in a refillable pot and you can get in touch with yourself in what scent works with your body with one of routine's 16 unique blends at routinecream.com so get your refillable jar or a stick at routinecream.com and if you use the promo code this family tree 10 at checkout you'll get 10 percent off your entire order again that's routinecream.com and this family tree 10 And now let's go to our interview with Dr. Michael Gervais. Dr. Michael Gervais, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. We're really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, Me too. Thank you. Thank you. And Mastery, Shane and I have been talking about on this podcast quite a bit in different ways in our life. We are not experts on it. Dr. Michael Gervais is. And I want to start off really easy for the layperson. What is Mastery? It's a great question. And it's a great question because it's hard to define and articulate. So give me a little bit of time here to pull it apart so that I think we can have a little bit more clarity. When you think of mastery, you typically think of mastery of craft. And some people think of masterpiece, you know, or something that is quote unquote perfect. That's not what this is. So mastery is really has two parts, mastery of craft and mastery of self. And the goal of mastery is to be on the path. It's not a completed bit of work. It is not perfection. It's the path of accelerated growth, deep insight, exploring the reaches of your potential. And potential really, uh, again, is bifurcated in two ways. The potential that you have with expressing your art, your craft, as well as the potential that lies dormant to express um, who you are. And to be able to be that man, woman, or person in any environment is really what mastery of self is about. Can you be the person that you know to be true to you, to be the best version of you, if you want to sound almost cheesy, but the best version of you across conditions? And to do that requires skill or requires like having a two-year-old's mind, you know, like they're brilliant because they are authentically themselves in every environment. But then when they grow up, when we grow up, we have conditioning that takes place. Mm -hmm. And that conditioning um, from our family, from media, from our coaches, from, 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 that that conditioning creates a framework. And that framework, what I'm talking about is a psychological framework. And the psychological framework that many of us are operating from as adults is compromised. And it's been compromised by subtle statements that were made to us in junior high and, you know, maybe um, mistakes that our parents made, uh, definitely by media, 
and media is this idea that we need to be something special. We need to do extraordinary things to be extraordinary and look at what she looks like and he looks like and he can do and she can say. And, and so there's a, a flaw that happens for most, many of us that don't live the examined life. And that flaw is that we buy into what others think that we should be as opposed to what our true capabilities and true potential are. And so mastery is really, for me, it's much more about mastery of self. And then mastery of craft is the expression, the extension of self in an artistic way. And again, you know, the question is, can we do that in any environment that we're in? That's somebody that is on the path of mastery. So that was poetic in itself, that answer. And you talk about potential and being your best, but how do you know your potential? And I know you work with high performance athletes on the limits of their best and what their limitations are like Felix Baumgartner. But how do I know not a high performance athlete anymore, not even close (laughs) to it, but just as a person in everyday life, what is my best and how do I know what I'm capable of as a mother of two at home in a pandemic? Again, seemingly simple, but very complicated question. And so let me, let me do two things. One is where I'm coming from is two places okay, that has contextual experience from my life. But let me give you the two first. So I'm sitting, I'm fortunate enough to sit on the shoulders of incredible scientists. So my training is a, has um, a master, uh, undergraduate in psychology, a master's degree in exercise science, and then a PhD in psychology, licensed as a psychologist with a specialization in sport and performance, and then a subspecialty, if there was such a thing, in consequential environments, so high stakes environments. Right. Okay. So there's, there's a body of science that I'm, I'm, that's coming into this conversation with me. The second is the innovation that can only happen on the frontier of human performance, like right on the edges is where this innovation of potential is realized. Like you mentioned Felix Baumgartner who jumped from 130,000 feet. No one's done that in modern times to be able, no one's done that period um, and been successful at it. And so the brightest minds in aerospace weren't sure if he was going to make it mm-hmm. because as he breaks the sound barrier from a transonic standpoint, meaning it wasn't just like a big capsule that goes through the sound barrier, that his arms and legs were going to be at different speeds than his head and his torso to oversimplify it. People weren't sure if his arms and legs were going to rip off. And I'm being callous and glib in one way, but that was the true test, if you will. Another example was a project I worked on with Luke Akins, who jumped from an airplane at 30,000 feet without a parachute into a 16-story net that he built, he and his team. And so that it's binary. Either you hit the target or not. And that target looked like, from 30,000 feet, the size of a stamp. And so he was required to have full command of craft, yeah. full command of body, and full command of mind. So those are the types of environments. And for the last 10 years, I've been with the Seattle Seahawks working across their organization on helping them understand the capabilities of training the mind. Now, to answer your question, how do you know? Well, the way you know is by glimpses. And so what do I mean by that? Like, let's say that I was going to follow you guys around all day. Mm -hmm. And my one job is to notice 
the brilliance, the genius, the special, the, the thing where it all clicks for you and it feels effortless, but you're right in a strike zone and you've got that grounded ability to articulate or do something in a beautiful way. And there's a thin slice of that that I was able to capture. And maybe I saw 15 of them. Maybe I only saw one. But that observation, without critique and judgment, that observation, if I could play that back to you, I would say, hey, do you remember this? Or did you see this? Or did you feel this? What was that about? And you'd say, yeah. I'd say, well, what if that could happen more often? What, what would that be like for you? And you go, oh, my God, that'd be, that would totally be it. That, that's it. Oh, so that, okay, so now we're getting into your potential. So even though it was just a thin slice, what if we could take that thin slice of expression that you were able to do and hook around, extend it, let's say it that way, another moment or another minute or another two minutes, and you're able to really capture that for an extended period of time. That is potential. Is that something that is, you can bottle it up? No. Is it something that is sustainable? No. Can you get better at it? Absolutely. And so what we're talking about is moving the needle, the frequency needle up. But first to do that, you have to be very clear about what those glimpses of genius look like for you. Mm -hmm. And it's not saying the right thing. It's the way that you're being and the way that you're relating with yourself, with others, with mother nature relative to the task at hand. And so it is a relationship that we're looking at that is at the center of your potential. Again, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with others, and your relationship with Mother Earth. And all in relationship to the task at hand. I'm talking a lot, but I wanna double click one more time. Mm -hmm. Is that being present is the only place that potential will be revealed. So being present is when your mind and your body are in the same place doing the same thing. So we don't need to be esoteric about this. That's very concrete. The mind is esoteric because we can't see it. And that's why it's been taboo for a while is that we can't see the making of the mind. So there has been for a long time, like, well, if I can't see it, is it real? Is, is it like, kind of weak if I struggle with this thing I can't even see? And the answer is no, because some of the strongest, most extraordinary thinkers and doers on the planet are raising their hand saying, hey, listen, there's only three things we can train, craft, body, and mind. I'm not leaving any of those up to chance. I want my mind to be nimble and strong and dynamic. And are there ways to train it? Yeah very concrete ways to train it, no differently than the way you train your body, sets and reps. You know, so, so when I double click, what I wanna say in the shortest frame is that the ability to be in the present moment is where your potential is revealed and to experience that present moment at its fullest to you is what that thin slice of potential is. Now the work is, how do I spend more time in the present moment? Yeah, That's the work. That's the <laughs> game inside the game. Yeah. And I, and listen, if we had enough time, I'd, I'd show you exactly how to do that. But <laughs> um, in a limited way, I, I can give you some, some, some tools. Yeah. I'd love to hear them because even when you're talking, I'm battling between, okay, I want to really listen to what you're saying, but I'm also, I'm worried what you're going to think of me if I don't have a really great question 
next based off my research. So I'm somewhat listening to you, but I'm also in the future. So I'm trying to be in the present at all times. And if you had any tips on that, that would be great. Because I find in interviews, that's where I really struggle staying in the present. Yeah, so, so do we all. And then I'll, do, I'll, I'll give you a gift and I'll say, dude, I, I'm not thinking about you. <laughs> <I'm not. laughs> you know i i really like i'll, I'll tell you what i the, and I, I say that in a kind of a funny way but um the truth is i struggled with anxiety as a kid it was performance anxiety around my sport and i could do it in practice but i couldn't put it together game day that was and me. um i wish that wasn't the case because it doesn't sound like a hero statement you know it's like but the truth is i was so constricted by what other people might be thinking about me, that I couldn't access the present moment and be connected to my craft. So what I've, what I've learned from both science and experience is that my job is to not try to figure out what you're thinking of me, but my job is to love you. And in that, it gives me the space and the freedom to like be curious about who you're becoming. And then I can do the same for me, be curious about who I'm becoming. And be in the present moment with my mind and my body, focusing on the one task at hand. Because if I'm trying to sort out what you might be thinking of me, and we're playing that same uh, non-conscious game even, slightly conscious, man, I, I can't, I don't know. I just can't figure out how to do both. Mm-hmm. And so I'm either one or the other, or if I'm caught in between trying to do both, it's like this micro choking experience where there's no beauty in it. So I just found that let me just love people and accept them for who they are the best of my ability. I'm not saying that I'm, I'm the reincarnation of something like to the best of my ability. And then, and then that gives me the space to be able to say in this, we're having a conversation. What is the next most authentic and most dynamic way I could describe this beautiful science and art of being present. And it's a full-time job for me to talk about something that's invisible so I give you some freedom, maybe saying, I'm not thinking about you, dude. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm working my ass off to try to find the next word. Okay. So um, all, all that being said is, how do you do it? There's no tips. There's no tricks. There are no hacks and shortcuts. There is a fundamental organizing of your life. So what does that mean? So as an elite athlete, um, not me, you guys. <laughs> you would recognize that it's a mistake to organize your life just for the win. Because as soon as you're on top of the podium, I've seen this so many times, whether it's the national anthem playing or the metaphorical you know, podium, that life doesn't change for people in that moment. It's not this magical thing. And I've worked with so many, I'll tell you a story right now that national anthem has been playing at the Olympics, flag is draped over their shoulders, I'll keep it gender neutral here. (laughs) And this athlete is crying. And afterwards, the athlete says, "Um, hey, did did you see what happened? I said, yeah. Do you know what I was crying for? I paused. And the athlete said, I thought I was going to be different. Hmm. I thought this was going to change me. And you know what? I've got the gold, but I don't have any relationships. I don't like who I am. I'm getting paid a little bit more money now, but this, this shit wasn't worth it. This was, so they've wasted their time. They've wasted their energy towards that win. 
And so I share that with you because that's a common story, unfortunately. And so how, what's the tip? There are no tips, but there is a fundamental way to organize your life. Here it is. What are you doing to train your mind and your body to be in the same place? Meditation. It's a fundamental commitment to being in the present moment more often, to working with distractions. It's a fun, are you meditating is a simple question. No. No. We we did oh. for a, a period like two years ago, but not It was more listening to something to yeah. go to sleep yeah. rather than actually using the meditation yeah. for probably the way it's intended. Okay. I, I want to kind of put a dull, slightly sharp stick in the lower <laughs> rib in your back <laughs> to say, hey, <laughs> the science is so compelling. It's been around 2,600 years as well as an ancient tradition. Why would you not do it? And you say, well, I'm not good at it. I don't understand it. It's too hard. Well, shit, if you want to get in the present moment and you're too busy to train your mind to be in the present moment, you're going to have the same suffering tomorrow that you had today. Mm-hmm. And so let me, let me guess your suffering. You're tired. You feel like uh, there's not enough time in the day. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. fatigue level that you experience trying to solve all of the problems of being animated and alive and living with zest and putting money on the table and doing right for your community members is exhausting. You've got some anxiety that sits underneath there with you. And that anxiety is the fear of the future. Mm-hmm. What's up, Shane? And so <laughs> that's the, 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 you know, the fear of the future. Can I make this thing all work? I'm not equipped for this. Guess what? Nobody trained you how to be in the present moment. Mm-hmm. Our education system has failed us. They've, they've given us knowledge, but not provided the way to live well. Mm-hmm. And because psychology was taboo, we'd go, we pull down our hat. We go into this, into this therapist's office, have the most amazing conversation that you could have for an hour. And then you'd walk out a little embarrassed. I hope no one sees me because there's a weakness. Man, we've done it wrong. Mm-hmm. So here's, here's the shorthand. If you're not working and training to be more aware, aware of four things, aware of your thoughts, aware of your emotions, aware of your body sensation, and aware of the environment around you. If you're not training awareness, you're going to be far downstream. So to be dynamic and powerful as a human, we need to go upstream because it probably feels like you're in the rapids where if you go upstream, you're like, oh, I see the rapids over there. Mm. Let me just get my oar in the water and kind of move to the left a little bit. Or, hey, I kind of feel like I want to get into some rapids. But if you're downstream, it's fear and fatigue that are a real challenge. And so mindfulness will be one of those great practices. Are you saying kind of like if you face the resistance, if you go towards the resistance, it'll make you feel better in general? Like the things that you're resisting? I would say that, but I would put that in a different context in a different part of the conversation. I'm saying mindfulness meditation is gives you the ability to become more aware of your mm-hmm. thoughts, mm-hmm. your emotions, your body sensations in the environment around you. And with greater awareness, you can course correct and adjust. Right. And so you don't feel like you are having, it's like, uh, I don't know if you've ever played a video game, but you mm-hmm. can zoom out like a driver game. You mm-hmm. can zoom out and see the racetrack and see where you are. That's kind of what awareness is. And without that, you're like first person driver kind of holding on, like not knowing exactly where the next turns are. And so that's where the fear and fatigue show up for people. And so I just don't know a better way to start. And it's a little bit of a heavy lift to do meditation and mindfulness. And if that seems too big, I'd say, well, you better start kicking ass then at sleep. 
because if you're not really, you know, great at awareness, Mm -hmm. you're going to get tired quickly. You know, the sleep science, no one needs to tell you what that is, you know, but so that's, that's a big part of it too. Well, what sucks is I have insomnia too. (laughs) So that, that exacerbates everything. You got it stacked up against you right here. I know. So even more so, what type of insomnia? There's a handful. It's the type where you can't get to sleep. Once I'm asleep, I think I'm fine. But although I I was wearing a Fitbit that told me I'm I'm awake like a large portion of the night. So I I never really feel rested. I actually just started taking CBD for the last week and a half. Yeah. Okay, good. So, um, So sleep is one of the big rocks for recovery and restoration. So that creates a challenge. If you have a sleep disorder, um, it would be good to get with a medical provider that says, okay, here's the best medicine for that. If you're not about medication, there are, there are problems with sleep aid medications. We know that now. Um, here's some non-pharmaceutical ways to think about it. Certainly meditation as a way to downregulate to become more aware. Um, exercise. I don't know what you're doing for fitness. Uh, making sure that you're eating foods and um uh, that are promoting overall wellness from a resource standpoint. So grandma probably got it right. Mm-hmm. Leafy vegetables, mm-hmm. clean proteins, you know, that type of stuff. And then um, uh, what was the other one I wanted to share with you? Uh, hydration and making sure that you're not uh, consuming caffeine or stimulants after noon, after okay. literally mm-hmm. like 12 o'clock. Um Oh gosh, we're laughing already. What, what? Well, it's, it, for me anyway, it's it's impossible because I'm up all night too feeding the baby, and then I've got the toddler and I'm running after her, and it's. But you don't have problems getting to sleep. I don't have problems getting yeah. to sleep. So, so it's, for me, it's different. It's for me, yeah. I really because sometimes if I have three cups of coffee a day, I find I ride that line of irritability, and it's no good. But yeah, that's good to know. Noon, that'll caffeine, be my new rule. The half life of caffeine is you know twelve hours, twelve, uh, twelve, wait, fifty. Hold on. I'm blanking on my numbers right now, but <laughs> the science is by noon or two o'clock at the latest, you should be shutting down uh, your caffeine. So the half-life is eight to 12 hours. Sorry, that's it in that, in that range. You want to start cutting that thing out by two o'clock for sure. So I, I was curious, you were talking about, you know, training mentally and doing sets and reps just like you would physically. And then you bring meditation into that. That's a way to, you know, do that training. But when you're looking at meditation, when you're looking at like something I have done and uh, found very helpful and productive was gratitude journaling. But when you when you have something like that, like a concept or something that you're you're doing within your own mind, what does a set or a rep look like? Like how when should we be doing it? How long? How often? So there's two basic lanes in psychology, Mm self-discovery. Who are you? What are you? Still figuring it out. What what is your purpose? Yeah. So we (laughs) all are, right? Like, what is your purpose? You know, those kind of big rocks, that's the self-discovery part. And then the other side is training, Mm -hmm. mindset training, mental skills training, so the sets and reps. So let's do the gratitude. Um, There's a good research that came out of UPenn. You're probably familiar with it. Uh, Three good things. Are you familiar with that research? I am. I'm not. No. Oh, if she's not, then I'm not. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So this is, this is good. Nice piece of science that we can apply. And so three good things is waking up in the morning and becoming a researcher of amazing. Okay. Okay. So you're going to set your mind to organize your life in a way that you're going to look for the good. You're going to look for amazing. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, you write those down. And then it's a sentence like somebody held the door open for me. We made eye contact. 
I know that's not happening now very often. Mm -hmm. And then in parentheses, a little bracket at the end of that sentence, you would write connection or kindness. So what made that thing amazing? What's the emotional thing that made that amazing? So it's like a sentence and then an emotional component to it. So that's the exercise. Seven days, we found that at seven days, people that came into that study depressed, actually stabilized the depression. People who are not depressed came into that study and reported after seven days an increase in overall uh, wellness. That's pretty damn cool. Yeah. You know, or like uh, satisfaction. It was, it was the metric there. And then when you extend it for 30 days, you get like this whole other boost of things that take place. And then when you double click and you do that with a partner, there's some, an idea that that actually increases some um, partnership satisfaction as well. So sets and reps, you know, that's easy. Um, On the mindfulness side, sets and reps are, science would suggest minimal effective dose is eight minutes a day. More optimized is like at 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so what are you doing for that eight or 20 minutes? And I've been meditating for, I guess it's like 20 some years. And my first teacher heard me now talking about sets and reps and minutes and counting. He'd be like, wow, you're so far off. You know, so, but I'm trying to translate something that is a beautiful practice into something that feels doable Mm -hmm. as a starting place. Oh, no. So I was just wondering, because I I really like what you were saying about, you know, look for the amazing. And I, I think that it's so simple, but it's so hard to do, especially when you feel overwhelmed by just life in general. And whenever Shane and I have a trip or a holiday or just a really big day, maybe we have two interviews in one day. At the end of the day, we'll be laying there in bed and I'll say, okay, what was your apple and what was your onion? This is very rudimentary, very elementary. I used to do this when I was a kid with my parents. Your apple is the best thing that happened to you. The onion is the one, you know, maybe not so great thing that happened. Is there any purpose in bringing up the onion, because if the apple can help you move forward and help mm. you continually recognize the amazing, should we share onions or is that negativity? Is there no place for it? It's a cool question. Yeah. Um, I would go a three to one ratio. Okay. I go three apples, one onion. The onion is a forcing function to be real. Where were the challenges? Mm-hmm. You know, what are the things that, that were a little stingy today? And you don't have to have them, but you're providing space so that it's not all rainbows and butterflies and, hey, everything's good, right? You're okay. It's good, right? Hey, it was good. We had lots of apples today. (laughs) Orchard's full. Great. You know, but like naive optimism is not only nauseating, it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so let's stay on this optimism thing for a minute. That's a psychological term. And so there's what sits underneath of it as a definition, the framework is how do you think about your future? And there's only two ways to think about your future, optimistic or pessimistic, optimistically or pessimistically. And there's no kind of third one realistically. That's not a third option. Like it's either you fundamentally believe the future is going to work out or you fundamentally believe that it's not. Mm -hmm. And so um, you can be naive in both and you can be real in both. So when I say optimism training, that's, that is really the three amazing things. Becoming a researcher amazing is training optimism. And so because your brain's dictum, it's an, we have an ancient brain, three pounds of tissue that sits in your skull. Your brain's dictum is survival. Mm-hmm. What that means your brain's um, mandate is to scan the world and find danger. Right. But get, if you leave that unchecked, you know what that turns into? Anxiety. Hmm. 
That's that's interesting. See, I'm so I'm kind of like both of those things. I since I met Alex five years ago, I was telling her I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to get laid off. I need to continually have a backup plan. But my backup plan, I'm very optimistic about. And I'm like, we're going to be so successful in this backup plan because I'm going to lose my job in the future. Uh, I'm going to make sure that we're okay. So it's this weird duality that does leave me very anxious. But I always thought it was kind of a superpower was my pessimism because it made my drive so intense. Well, I would say actually what's underneath there for you without being an armchair psychologist here is that um, you, it was anxiety, not necessarily pessimism. Right. Yeah. Now they go, they can go hand in hand, you know, they, mm-hmm. they can go hand in hand, but it sounds like more of an anxious framework. Like I'm going to lose yeah. it. Certainly there's some pessimism in there, but I would, I think that maybe your capacity to deal with um, things going wrong is maybe the superpower. Mm-hmm. Like I would imagine you're pretty resilient. You figure things out. You're scrappy because you think about the future not panning out. Mm-hmm. And so you've got some skills to be able to, you know, manage that framework. You learn that, Shane, you learn that. We learn optimism and pessimism. It's handed to us. It's not a, well, I'm pausing because we don't know enough about epigenetics right now. There might be a genetic predisposition towards optimism and pessimism. We can't quite sit in it yet, but we do know that you can train them. You can course correct and readjust. And so I would say triple down on uh, the, th- the researcher of amazing, triple down on that, play with it because you've already got a superpower of knowing what could go wrong and living from an anxious standpoint to solve problems. You've already got that wired. I would overwater this other seed. And then the other thing that I would do is I would go back to your, the reason you wanted to start some mindfulness, but I wouldn't do it for sleep alone. I would do it for awareness. And I would start with a very simple mindfulness practice, focus, set a timer. There's two types of mindfulness, contemplative, which is a bit more advanced and then single point, which is what I'm suggesting to you now. And by the way, I'm, I want to answer this question, but I just want to pause by saying that everything I'm talking about, I have a resource, you know, so it's not Mike just kind of spouting this stuff off is that I have a resource in an online course. It's my best work. And so it's an eight week online course. It's how to train in your mind and organize your inner life the same way that I do it with world-class athletes, Mm -hmm. the same exact way. And it's available to all of us, those same skills. And so, you know what I want to do? I want to give you two a course. So I'm going to send you a passcode. Um, well, actually, you know what? Will you do it? Hell yeah. (laughs) We need to. All right. All right. So I'm going to send, I'm going to send you guys a passcode on it. Thank you so much. And then let's do this. Let's, let's give away one to your community. That's, you know, and um, let's do some, yeah, let's do something on social where let's think, how about this? How about they tag you? They tag me. And they tag finding mastery okay. Okay. on social. And then they give us a one-liner. And that one-liner is why, why training their mind is important. You know, it's like why, why getting in shape is important. Well, because I want to run a marathon or because I want to be able to hold my kids, you mm-hmm. know, because whatever, whatever the reasons yeah. are. So let's do that. Let's say they tag you, you whatever handle you want. They tag at Michael Gervais mm-hmm. and then they tag at finding mastery. Yeah. And then uh, we'll pick, we'll pick somebody and give them a, a, the course. It's an eight week. I mean, it's a dynamic course. I, I really, I'm not saying that because 
it's my business model. I'm saying it because I, I put everything into it. It's mm-hmm. amazing. And I want you guys to, to, to experience it and then maybe give me some feedback. I would love to. And, and I think that there's something that we can both find so much value in. And it's funny because Shane talks about he's more of a pessimist than I am. I am, I think, often a naive optimist. Uh, like you were saying, which is a fault. And I think that has to do with the fact that I always know that I have something to fall back on. My day job, very stable. Mm-hmm. I'm a teacher. And growing up, your parents were very well yes. off. Yes. And so I, I always had a safety net and I've never had you know the fear of God instilled in me if something were to ever go wrong. But I think that is stopping me from like, I love to write. I wanted to have poetry written. I wanted to have a novel written. Have I done that? No. (laughs) I think I did three chapters about 10 years ago and then put it to bed. And now as a mother, you know, we're taking on this project. And because I have Shane kind of kicking my ass in it, we're succeeding more than I ever would if I was doing it alone. Uh, But there are still things that I would like to do. I would like to revisit that writing and apply it to, you know, things I'm experiencing now because I have more inspiration than I ever have. But the fear of failure is debilitating. It's so debilitating. Okay. And Okay. So awesome. Let's do this. So this will be a fun for both of you guys. I think you'll find value in this. Um, on So I have a podcast called Finding Mastery mm-hmm. and Michael Phelps coach, one of the great swimmers in the history of swimming. Uh, Bob Bowman was on and he shared this story with me. It was about mental imagery. And he said, Michael Phelps was really good at mental imagery. And one of the things that he did is that he would see himself in a compromised position. So it was uh, 2008 games. And his prior to that, he was imagining, think about this. He was imagining his goggles filling up with water. Why would you do that? Why would you go and see and feel the worst case scenarios so that you can become familiar with them? so that you know what it would feel like to finish with your goggles filled up with water. And so if I, if I were to add some metrics to it, I would say what I would want you guys to do is spend a little bit of time at the end of your meditation, mm-hmm. okay? And just see, do a 15 to 85% ratio. 85% of the time, see yourself like flourishing, kicking ass, loving, doing all the things, writing, whatever it might be and um, see and feel and experience it. And then the other would be the 15% of the time is put yourself in a compromised position, like an empty page, you don't know to write, and then noticing what it feels like to solve it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like to, to just to feel, feel that. So like a 15, 85%, um, 15 compromised, 85%, like flat out mm-hmm. amazing. So that's kind of like, and I, I've heard you talk about this before, creating a culture of success, right? Giving yourself a chance to achieve something. Now right. we have two daughters. We are both huge, massive basketball fans. And we just like athletics in general. Ideally, we're hoping our girls show some proclivity to sports, but whatever they get into, like, is there something that can parents fuck up their kids when it comes to their kids wanting to achieve and wanting to find success? Because my my fear is raising them with fear of mm-hmm. going for their goal. So, so how do we kind of instill that? And like, what athletes have you spoken to? Like, what did their parents do, their coaches do that helped instill that desire to succeed in them? Yeah, parenting is tricky. Yeah. And- <laughs> 
you know, there's, there's no clear cut answer here. I would say this though, I am intimate with family systems that have engineered the best athlete in the world at their sport. They have engineered them. And then of all of those that are engineered, if you were to say, right, okay. So what is their level of like happiness as a human as well? Mm -hmm. The best in the world. And I'd say, yeah, it's been compromised. So I think we need to go upstream to a philosophical position about what do you want for your children? Because they're trusting you to have a North Star. Mm -hmm. So what do you want for them? And so my wife and I did this when we had our son. We said, okay, she wrote down a list of characteristics that she wanted to instill and water. And then I did the same. And then we put those two words or those two lists together and we distilled it down to two. We probably could have done three, but two words that captured it. So we want to instill or cultivate um, strength and kindness. And so those are our North stars. Mm -hmm. It is not achievement and winning. It's, it's not, it's strength and kindness. Mm -hmm. And so now can you, when it comes to achievement, I think the greatest gift you can give your children is to give them a foundation and a base that they matter independent of what they do. So they matter because they breathe Mm -hmm. and your conversations are more about the values that they express as opposed to the performances that they express. Mm -hmm. And then once that base is established, then at a, at a teenage years, you're starting to layer on the importance of, um, doing deep focused work and you value the deep focused work as, as opposed to what test grade you got, how many points you scored on the basketball court, what school that you're going to get into in college, like none of that at that age. So it's, it's values first. And then on top of that is the the ability to focus deeply and do work Mm -hmm. and to believe in oneself and to love challenges and risk. And then on top of that, you're now into the frame of, you know, testing and competing um, in, in more competitive environments. Mm-hmm. See, for me, I'm not worried really about parenting at all. Cause I'm not very critical of kids. I feel like I'm supportive, but I'm very critical of my wife, Alex here all the time. And even before this interview, while we were setting up, I was like, Oh, you should do this. And I'm kind of nitpicky and she's very defensive. And I was actually watching some of your materials before this interview and a bit stuck out that that's one of the things that can actually tear a marriage apart is when someone's ex- hypercritical and when, when someone's hyper defensive. And we have that kind of perfect marriage, no pun intended, of those two <laughs> qualities. And I'm wondering. Come on. Come on. Come on. Like, you know, so this is the research out of Washington that there's four kind of really problematic ways of relating to people mm-hmm. the, uh, criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, and contempt. So, and they kind of go in that order. When you're mm-hmm. critical of somebody, they're going to be defensive. And when they're defensive over time, they're going to say stonewall, like, forget it. Mm-hmm. This is whack. Like, you got to come to me and apologize. Yeah. And then contempt, like, I hate you. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like if you've got that kind of stuff in your relationship, there's a high chance of divorce. And so mm-hmm. um, it's going to start with the, it's going to start with the critic, but you know what? You're probably critical of yourself. And so mm-hmm. you express it on to, you know, it's not like you, take off those glasses, you know, of when you're talking to yourself, you're probably critical of yourself. So if you wanted to start somewhere, I would say maybe start there. Like, how do you critique yourself? Are you creating space and kindness and compassion for yourself? Are you saying, fucking, hey, do better. Let's go. Jesus, what's wrong with you? God, late. It's not going to work out. You got to be perfect. Like that kind of language. People that are perfectionists 
it's actually that they're critics, they're really critics, yeah. you know, and they're afraid of what happens in the messiness of non-perfect, which is life. I wonder if there's a way where she can just stop being defensive of it and take my <laughs> criticisms to heart. <laughs> yeah. Could save the that's marriage. Good. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. No, no. You I, guys are awesome. <laughs> thank you. Um, no, but I, I see so much value in Shane's criticism, even if I do get so, so, so annoyed sometimes. Right. But you know, I am a messy person, not just in, you know, how I might leave my clothes in my closet, but in my organization of daily tasks. And I've started to try to organize my days like down to, you know, the morning, this is what I'm going to do, the afternoon, this is what I'm going to do. And I feel so much more success when I'm knocking those things off my list. And do you think that people can be successful without being so organized and Mm -hmm. kind of shaping their life in that way? Oh, yeah. Well, one, here's the cool thing about being an adult is that you get to define what success is. So you define it, you know, and what is daily success? What is life success? And without that examined approach, though, it's really hard to know if you're hitting the target. You know, there are people that are a mess when it comes to organization, whatever, and they're so happy and they're Mm -hmm. achieving such amazing things in the world. So it's knowing you and knowing the structures that support you to be your very best. There is some science around checklists and why we love them so much. And the reason we love checklists so much is because it actually gives us a little moment to go, I did something. Mm -hmm. And so there's a a flood of neurochemicals that are like, oh, this is good. This is a good thing. And so um, here's a way that you can, that I uh, use that science is that I'm really clear about the intention that I want to have each day. And so an intention is a fancy word for like how I want to be. And, and then when I notice that I'm animated in that way throughout the day, I'm like, look, I'm doing it. Like, and I'm <laughs> celebrating almost like a crazy person. Like I'm in it, I'm doing it. Like, that's right. This yeah. is what I do. And so I get that little high, that little buzz, that little moment where it's not actually a concrete on paper check, which I have those two. But it's a moment to celebrate like a wild person, you know, when you're actually lined up with the person you want to be. Mm-hmm. And so that, that takes some practice. That does take some practice. Okay, Dr. Michael, we're just going to take a quick break to let our listeners know that. We are supported by Tushy. Shane, you only know a little bit about this, but I believe I have postpartum hemorrhoids. What? <laughs> I knew nothing about this. No. Well, I told you that I had a little, you know, pain coming out of there when I was going number two, but I'm pretty sure it's because I got hemorrhoids when I was pushing the baby out, which is a very common thing. To is happen. that what you're calling your number twos now? <laughs> no, but hemorrhoids are incredibly common for women to get during pregnancy and during childbirth. So I have to say wiping has been hell, but thankfully I don't have to do that too often because the tushy is a little slice of heaven. Tushy is a bidet. It's like an, mm. a toilet attachment that acts as a bidet. And it's amazing. And it's my favorite product. And I could never live without it. And your dad needs to get one at the cottage. He does. He does. Not just for my hemorrhoids, but for the hemorrhoids of everybody in our family. Because everybody has an ass and everybody deserves a tushy. It's not just an unconventional gift. It's an amazing unconventional gift that people don't even realize they need in their lives. And we need to make this conventional. Oh my gosh, yeah. Oh my gosh advocate for you know 
proper bathroom habits and it's only $79 and we're going to give you 10% off a tushy bidet. So for a cleaner butt, go to www.hellotushy.com slash this family tree. Again, that's hellotushy.com slash this family tree. For 10% off of a tushy bidet and for a cleaner butt, go to hellotushy.com slash this family tree. Again, that's hellotushy.com slash this family tree. But we are also supported by Seedlip, the world's first non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip Spirit solved the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking. And right now, many of you know I am not drinking until November 1st. And you know what? To me, this isn't a challenge, and Seedlip really makes it not a challenge because I look forward to my Seedlip beverage. Oh my gosh, they make it so easy. Seedlip is crafted using a bespoke process that involves the traditional copper distillation of botanicals. So each of Seedlip's three variants, they have Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42, offer something for every type of drinker. I never thought in my wildest dreams I would appreciate a bespoke process like I do now, <laughs> but I'm bespeaking about it and I'm beloving it. I'm so glad. And as you all know, if you do listen, they pair perfectly with just a splash of tonic like we had tonight. However, you can get fancy like we typically do and you can check out the Seedlip cocktail book for more complex cocktails. So head over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and follow at seedlip underscore NA on Instagram for more ways to enjoy. And now back to our interview with Dr. Michael Gervais. I used to think I wanted to be happy. And then I, again, I'm, I'm consuming your materials. And then you kind of were bringing up some interesting points about we don't actually want to be happy all the time just because that's not a realistic goal. And I don't want you to repeat yourself always in the same interviews, but just we have a new audience here. So if you could just elaborate on that a little bit. Sure. You know, is that happiness is one of many emotions. And if the goal is to only experience one of those emotions, then we're going to live a bit of a muted life. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I want to have full range. I want to have deep experiences. I want to understand the reaches and the depths of being alive. And so, you know, in the most dramatic way, if a loved one dies, I don't want to be happy. I want to feel those difficult parts of life too. And at the same time, I don't want to lose myself in it. So I think when people say, I just want to be happy is because most of the time, more often than not, they're feeling sad and anxious, frustrated and irritable, overwhelmed and scared. And they're like, I just would like a little more joy. Well, that is possible, but I don't think that that's not the big hill. That's a hill to climb. The North star is for you to know and to wrestle and to understand both your purpose in life, as well as the core principles that are going to guide you along the way. And then to increase your awareness of how, so that's where meditation comes in, increase your awareness about how your thoughts and your words and your actions are bouncing up against the principles and bouncing up against the North star, your purpose. And so if you can get that kind of thing in play, it ain't about happiness, but you know what ends up happening? You end up living with more joy because now you're, you're actually in control of your life and your experience in life, as opposed to being at the whip's end of the external world, needing to be just right for my internal life to be okay. That's a mess. The, when the external dictates the internal, that is a 
disastrous way of going through life. That's how I went through life for many of my years early on. And I've made the same mistakes you guys are talking about with being cr um, critical of my loved ones. And it's my deepest regret in life, being critical of the people that I love. It's my deepest regret. And so, you know, I, I bet you have some scar tissue about it. I want to share my scar tissue. It's, <laughs> it's this thing that doesn't really go away very easily, at, if at all. So the real work is what are the, what are the guiding principles? What is my purpose in life, my North Star? And then increasing the awareness so that I can course correct when I'm off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I bet you don't want to be a critical perfectionist, worry, pessimistic person, but that's the lower part of you. Yeah. The best part of you is when I'll put words in, in your mouth, Shane, which is like <laughs> free and open and optimistic and kind and passionate and, you know, getting after it and having fun and celebrating and like being engaged with the people that I care about and knowing that my life matters because the purpose is so beautiful. Fill in the blanks of what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the, the upper reaches of, of where mm -hmm. we started this conversation with potential. So I think about, you know, just that, like making the most being present, you know, having fun, being open, passionate in finding that in your daily life. And it's funny because in the motherhood community, you often see people with this, you know, stupid cliche meme. It's like, hey, like you made it through the day. You kept two kids alive that's the best you can do. Good for you. That's a huge success. And it's like, I get that that's success in a way. But if we want to look at it like sports, that's like a runner maybe jogging to the finish line in a 100 meter sprint, right? And just doing what you have to do to get to the end. But then I think they're missing out on so much. It's if your kids are still alive, well, what about you? What about your relationship with your partner? What about the relationships with the people around you? Do you still love your kids by the end of the day? Or are you just so fed up and happy that they're in bed? So how do you think that people in this, because I mean, not all moms are endurance and high profile athletes, but you know, it is mentally almost like an athletic endeavor in that you really have to be laser focused, but then like they're not looking after themselves so much of the time. So I don't, I don't even know what I'm trying to get here, but I think it's how do mothers kind of shift the focus from just, you know, doing that bare minimum because that's what they think, not the bare, the bare minimums a lot, but just recovering their sanity at the expense of nurturing other things around them, if that makes sense. Sorry, that's long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> that is like it's a mouthful to try to explain, and you just did it eloquently. Is and I would say, where do you start? I'd say each day. I'd say one. Someone's going to take the course, and they're going to know exactly. And then you guys can talk about like mm -hmm. what's in the course and kind of mm -hmm. share from that framework. But I, I would say that you would start this way. You would start with start with two minutes a day of meditation. Then double that pretty soon to four. And before you know it, you're going to get to eight, which is a minimal effective thing. And what are we talking about doing? Just focus on your breathing for two minutes, the inhale and the exhale, inhale, exhale, and your exhale being longer than your inhale. That's it. Mm -hmm. Just start there and then start chipping away at like kind of uh, in the, in the in-between moments, which is like being fully present. Like when you're washing your dishes, just be present with the dishes. When you're tucking your kids in, be present with that. Right. And so mindfulness and, and practice being present will go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And those would be the two itty bitty little rocks I'd start with, which are pretty massive. But I would say the the researcher of amazing is an, a, a great first practice to begin with as well. Good. All right. My yeah. last question. 
what is your philosophy in one word and what time do you go to bed and wake? Yeah, cool. So the philosophy in one word is love. And if I double click under that, um, I'll put it in a way that is speaks unique to my experience, which is every day is an opportunity to create a living masterpiece. So a living masterpiece has to do with the edges and the reaches of my potential, but doing it from a principle-based approach. Um, and you know, the highest form of love is the animation of it. Mm-hmm. So that's where it starts for me. And then, but I need a lot of skills. I need a lot of mental skills to be able to do that well. Okay, so that's one. Then what time do I go to bed at night? Um, I'm competing my ass off to get uh, eight hours. Um, my, I'm best at seven, seven, seven hours, 45 minutes. That's kind of my sweet spot. So I'm competing my ass off to be in bed about eight and a half hours before um, I shut her down. So I am a night owl, but my work requires a bit of morning work. So I'm trying to shut her down uh, around 1030. That's good. So you're in bed at 1030 and then you f- yeah. actually you'll fall asleep at 1115? Uh, around that. I give right. myself some time to drift off. Nice. Yeah. Okay. I like right. that. Yeah. That's all. So, yeah. <laughs> Michael, where can people go to follow you on social media, go to take your courses, anything they want to know? Where can they do it at? Awesome. Thank you. Um, by the way, this is a fun conversation. No, it's great. I could <laughs> be here all day, honestly. <laughs> so, where can we find? Uh, so, all, those, all the handles are the same on social media, at Michael Gervais, and it's G-E-R-V-A-I-S. Mm-hmm. And then um, the best place is... Um, Finding Mastery is a podcast that you can come check out. And we've got all our resources on our pages there. That's the best place. Courses can be found there, all the stuff. There's another company for Enterprise that I've got. It's a partnership I have with Coach Carol. And so it's an enterprise solution where we're going into organizations and helping the full company, the people in the company train their minds. And so that's at competetocreate.net. And finding mastery is the other side for individuals. That's amazing. And I am so looking forward to taking this course. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> we're gonna and we're gonna work in the meantime on our criticism and defensiveness. Hopefully I, I say we do start practicing meditation tomorrow. There's no time to start like the present. Tonight, we can do it tonight. All right. But truly, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. We really had a great time. We really appreciate your insight. You guys are awesome. Appreciate you guys. Likewise. Thank Thank you you so much. And that was Dr. Michael Gervais. Dr. Michael was such an interesting one for me because I had a million questions that I wanted to throw at him that I hadn't thought of until we started having our conversation. And then I found myself... You know, because I felt like I was being examined by somebody that is so professional in their field, I started to get nervous anytime that I'd begin asking a question. Then I'd meander, and it was so hard because I, I, I think I feel like I wanted to impress them sometimes. Well, the one question that you asked, I think, set the Guinness Book of World oh Records God. for longest question ever asked. Oh, it was brutal. And you really got lost in it. I, I think we edited it down. Yes. Yeah. So it's a sign of respect, I think, for the person we're interviewing. I think it's a very high compliment. I'm not sure if that comes across to the interviewer, but I know (laughs) that's what you mean when you do one of those questions. And hey, Lord knows I do them too. But yeah, I'd like to thank Dr. Michael. I guess we're thanking people in these postmortems. So, uh, but yeah, what a great set of interview subjects we had today. Oh, that was incredible. And by the way, more to come with that because we have some really great guests lined up for the future. So stick around if this is your first episode you've ever heard. But now let's get to the part of the show that we like the best where we answer listener questions. Now, this is a part of the show 
that in the past we kind of went willy-nilly. A question would come in and we would just answer with not really having read the question. Now, Alex is producing these. She's got a bunch of cards in her hands. And I got notes for days. And she knows what she's talking about. So if you take the time to ask a question, we're actually going to answer it and probably have an answer. Alex yeah. will at least. Give you info for sure. All right. So the first question today, we're going to keep on the Wiggles topic. So this question was meant for Emma Wiggle. But of course, when I ask people to write them in, it's just, you know, for Shane and I to answer that person misunderstood. But it doesn't matter because I researched and found your answer. So the question was, I need a deep dive on why Anthony Wiggle doesn't wear shoes. So Anthony is a blue wiggle. And I didn't even notice that he doesn't wear shoes, but he does not wear shoes on stage in videos. And I don't even think in general life if he doesn't have to. Can I guess why? Yes. Is it like he, I know he has anxiety when he tours. Is it like one of those people who like to feel close to the earth? Okay. So you are on the right track. So a little backstory on Anthony Wiggle or Anthony Reed. His real last name isn't Wiggle? Shocking. <laughs> so he left the army at 23 years old and he found himself for like the 10 years after just totally listless, not really doing anything to help himself. He wasn't, you know, staying active. He was eating really poorly. He never had the energy or desire to like get out and do things. I read in the army he actually got the most kills in his infantry unit. Get out of here. No, he set a record, 48 kills. <laughs> I don't even know if he went to war. <laughs> <laughs> no, so he became, he became really depressed in this phase, and he was close to suicide a couple times. And I read an interview in which he said that there were a few times that he just thought it was probably the best option to just kill himself and have that infinite rest than, you know, living with this mental anguish and the physical pain he was going through. So he said in the same interview that on stage, he never felt depressed, even though he was in like immense physical pain. But right after the show was over, and if they took breaks in between filming, he'd have to go backstage and just lie down. And before every live show, he would have like a breakdown, an emotional breakdown. And everybody else in the Wiggles group just kind of knew to expect it. And they knew he was doing these things, but they didn't really know why. And they didn't really know uh, how poor his mental health was at the time. So the shoes thing comes along when he started trying to seek help. So he was seeing a psychologist and then and he started taking Zoloft, which he still takes now. And then he met a chiropractor in Chicago named Dr. James Stockson. So this chiropractor, Dr. Stockson, was researching the effect that tight shoes have on your body for like so many different ailments like back pain headaches just a ton of things and recommended that anthony not wear shoes to help because he was having a lot of back pain and things and recommended to anthony not to wear shoes so since then anthony prefers not to wear shoes and he's in you know great shape he's feeling way better physically he's feeling way better mentally and again i'm sure the therapy and zoloft and whatnot is helping but he swears by not wearing shoes for overall general health. And I thought that was like crazy fascinating because that would be the last thing on my mind. Like I thought it was maybe plantar fasciitis. Very cool. Thank yeah. you for looking that up. Yeah. And oh, also, he doesn't drink. He gave up drinking. Well, it's got to be stressful to be a wiggle because I heard the wiggles can't even be seen in public drinking anyway. Yeah. I read that in like when we were doing research for the Emma interview, I read that. And it's like, it's weird because you think that you know, maybe you can model responsible drinking for the kids. But Emma was saying she doesn't even want a glass of champagne in her hands. 
Well, I guess it's hard because when you're caught with a picture of you drinking, mm-hmm. it's, you it's, it doesn't really show like, oh, they're doing it responsibly. Yeah. No, absolutely. All right. So the next question. Have you tried the Diva Cup? Yes. And I swear by the Diva Cup. I love it. I've been using it for almost a decade now. But it, it's it's the best thing for me. And to those of you who are like, I don't know if I could deal with it. I don't know if I could handle it. You can. Do it a couple times and the benefits so outweigh anything else. It's immensely. Can I guess what a Diva Cup is? Oh, you don't know. I, I just assumed you know. Okay, so it's for someone who's maybe a little bit bossier in the... <laughs> And demanding, and it, it's a cup that fills up with blood. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but not, you don't have to be bossy or demanding to wear it. What's the diva part then? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, maybe poorly named because you can be very nice and kind and wear one. But yeah, it's great. So it's a menstrual cup you put in your vagina. It's got a little tag on the end, I guess, that you use to help pull it out. And I've spoken to friends of mine who were like, oh, it didn't really feel comfortable when I had it in figure it out leave like you know work it out for a couple days you will figure out how to properly put it in in a very comfortable spot because when it is in right you cannot feel it at all so i just have a couple stats on diva cups versus tampons if you're thinking about making the change these might sway you because i i am an advocate for them so a diva cup if you go through maybe four in your lifetime because you know, one deteriorates, one you lose, whatever. You have Wait, to get what different do you mean? size. You, you don't put a cup in every time? It stays in there? No, no. So you buy one cup and then it lasts you for years and years and years. Ah, I see. So you take it out, you wash it and whatnot. I see. So I thought you, it was like surgically implanted for a second. No, no, I no. I get no. you. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. you have to empty the blood. Yeah, that makes sense now. <laughs> So if you were going to purchase four Diva Cups, you know, throughout your menstruating life, it would cost you about $120 Canadian. And if you were to buy tampons, it would cost you about $2,500 or more. Okay, so that's just financially a huge difference. Next, there are no chemicals in Diva Cup. It's just made with, I think, silicone. You put it in, safe as anything. There's only been one instance of toxic shock syndrome associated with Diva Cups, and I'm assuming maybe it's because somebody forgot it was even there. And if you want a Diva Cup for 10% off, this family tree 10. <laughs> no. No, this is a not. I just, I, I do feel strongly about them because they are so much better for the environment. You just think about all the tampons and pads that are in oh, the ocean. Oh, just laying about. No, but it, it's, they fill up landfills. Oh, there was 10 tampons on our driveway this morning. <laughs> there was not. Anyhow, so with a tampon, of course, we already know this. There are harmful pesticides chemicals dioxins fragrances why did they put pesticides in a tampon it's i think it's what the cotton is made with right it's like just a, a huge process and there are obviously thousands of associated cases of toxic shock syndrome again it's rare but still i mean diva cups or any menstrual cup is just that much safer and the other thing what i love about it is that menstrual cups can collect from 25 to 40 milliliters of blood while a tampon a jumbo tampon can only collect 10 milliliters of blood so think about that like overnight it's amazing you can actually go to sleep and not have to get up and change your tampon or your pad in the middle of the night and you can just go to sleep without leaking it's amazing. And then I recently also saw an ad on Instagram for a menstrual cup called Nixit, like N-I-X-I-T. I am not a crook. <laughs> <laughs> 
that one it's shaped differently than like your typical menstrual cup it's like a little wider and shallower and apparently you can have sex with it in so super interesting but yeah, so fascinating. Make the switch. I prefer it. Fascinating might be an overstatement. But. <laughs> the next question, we'll go with a couple short ones. Do you have any mantras that you tell yourself? Good question for this episode, actually. Well, I've been listening to Wes Watson. He's a guy, he's like a big bodybuilder guy. He went to prison. He was actually on Simon Rex's podcast very recently, Nervous Rex. And he's now like a motivational guru, live your life right type guy because, you know, he, he never wants to even possibly maybe go back to prison. So he's really trying to live on the straight and narrow. And he's all about just he just kind of yells at you. He's like, fucking do it. No one gives a shit about the things you're good at. Do the <laughs> thing you're not good at. Fuck you. So I'm big on just like. I know, like it's the Nike slogan for a reason. It's the most popular slogan, but just do it. Anytime I'm like kind of hesitant, I'm like, do it. And then if I'm really not doing it still, I'm like, fucking do it. And that helps me do it. So that I'm, I'm using that often with my push-ups or anything I'm kind of being lazy on that I know I'll feel really good once mm-hmm. it's done. Just like, do it. Because the guilt and shame of not doing something, although it's easier not to do it at the time, it weighs on me so much that it's never worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, nothing like a little masochism to you know push you forward. Well, it's just motivation. Yeah, like no, I, absolutely. It, like just the word, the F word, just gives me that oomph. I'm not like liking insulting myself or anything. <laughs> All right. So, oh, and so for mantras, it's fucking do it. I like that. That's yours. Do it, and then if I'm not, fucking do it. Yeah, no, that's good. And for me. I think it's, I can do this. I can do this. Because for me, I get overwhelmed sometimes at the at the thought of something, like from giving birth to tackling an incredibly messy house or a huge pile of laundry. And it's like, no, I can do this. You're fine, Alex. You got this. And then I do it. So it's just about, for me, getting over that hump. All right, Shane, specifically for you. Tell us your best dad joke. Best dad joke Oh, do you know, this is, I don't even know if this qualifies, because I don't think you could tell children this joke, but this is my favorite dad joke. Okay, uh, what's Moby Dick's father's name? <laughs> I know the answer, but I want you to, you got to say the punchline. Papa Boner. <laughs> now, that's not appropriate, you know, and if Emma Wiggle's still listening, I'm sorry, but that's just a joke I've always liked. It's very immature. I actually told that joke to Jim Carrey once. How did that end up happening? I was on a red carpet in J- JFL, and they gave me a pass to just ask people questions, and I-, I told Jim I wanted to tell him a joke, and Jim looked in my eyes, and he thought I was like a sincere guy, and he kind of stopped and heard me out, and then he heard the joke, and he just was like, I lost a lot of credibility there, but... Are you embarrassed about that to this day? I am. I'm embarrassed of so many things. Yeah, I'm like, embarrassed for you for that joke. You don't like that joke? No, I like it, but not for Jim Carrey. Yeah, I, I feel like with some comedians it would have worked. Like even some better comedians. Because Jim Carrey, although he's a very funny guy, I don't think he's a phenomenal comedian by mm. any means. But it's just, yeah, it, it bombed. <laughs> Well, it is a joke. It's a dad joke, but in a different sense. So I like it on this show. I think it, I think it's a winner. I was watching an interview with Pete Davidson recently, and he was saying that every time he sees somebody really tired at a hotel, he just says to them, like if he sees a man walking out of a hotel and they seem really tired, he's like, room close to the ice machine? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> See, so I guess that's funnier. <laughs> it's just silly to do that always. Yeah, like I thought, I thought something about that was very funny. So I think that might be something I steal. Oh my gosh, that oh, Pete Davidson's funny. I love him. I love that guy. But he's a person. I think he's funnier as. A person, a person than a stand-up yeah no he's he's got a very funny vibe much like you Shane. like i think that your vibe and everything is just funny and you know you're just getting people laughing in everyday life not necessarily with your red carpet jokes but moving on would you ever want your children to be famous yes 100 percent really what but okay what about all the downfalls that come with fame like them not having a private life you know the pressures of i think you do get a private life now because everyone's kind of have a taste of fame fame's value is way down Mm -hmm. but you get a lot of money from fame typically like i wouldn't want them to be infamous but a level of fame like name somebody famous Who's famous? Like Machine Gun Kelly, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> Little Lucy, the next Machine Gun Kelly. Well, who, like I can't think of who's a woman that's famous. I just can't think Kim of Kim Kardashian. Okay, that's maybe too famous. Um, Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, Reese level I could handle. Well, she she does keep a pretty private life. Yeah, and it's just... But here's the thing. She's also gone through a lot of not-so-good stuff because of fame. Like, she went through a public divorce, and it was likely caused by her her famous husband cheating on her with another famous person, and then had to deal with that and being in the public eye. And a lot of hard things come with that, and you don't have the comfort of dealing with these things on your own. You don't have that time and that grace. You know, you have so many people to answer to. Yeah, I find I have a lot of people to answer to always and i don't have time or grace and i'm not famous so yeah imagine how much worse it could be yeah i feel like it'd be easier though how because i'd have more money well you can have lots of money and not be famous and money doesn't buy happiness i just made that up now but that's not the question the question is would you want lucy to be famous and i would for what I'd feel cool. It would be very like... Be yeah, like, I'd feel cool. I would. Like, if I'm being honest, I'd be like, that's my daughter. She's a part of me. Without me, she wouldn't be famous because she, <laughs> she has my traits. I'd be very, like, cocky about it. Yeah. If Lucy made the WNBA and she was, like, MVP and she became very famous from that, I'd be very proud mm-hmm. and I would feel, like, cocky about it. Like, honored like a piece of me made it. Mm-hmm. See, and this has a lot to do with my own judgment that I obviously need to work on and my own bias but if it was for athletic ability or their social work or academics then I would be so much happier for them to be famous for that than something in the acting singing whatever world which again only has to do with the bias that I have and judgment that I have which I need to get over because I would think that professional athletes have uh, just as much trouble if not more than uh, an actor Mm -hmm. but not Drugs, alcohol, infidelity, yeah. huge problem mm-hmm. in all those areas. Well, I, I, I kind of don't want anybody in the family to be famous to the point of losing their sense of self or their roots. So that's where I stand on that. Obviously, I don't want Lucy to become famous to the point of losing herself no, or her no, roots No, 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 but well, of dealing with all that stuff. So yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is, yes, I would want her to be famous without any of the problems associated with fame, but I think that's <laughs> obvious. All right, well, I just wanted to make it clear. Next question. If you could interview anyone dead or alive, who would it be? I'd like a, an Owen Wilson interview. That'd be good. Oh, that'd be great. Does he have any kids? 
Yeah, he does. But I'd, I'd love to actually find out about what happened with his suicide attempt was pretty oh my god buried i'd like to if he'd ever be willing to talk about that actually get into what happened there i know it's a breakup with kate hudson or something i'm just so curious about him his lifestyle and uh his bout of depression he went through yeah that'd be really fascinating he would be amazing mine would be michelle obama she's a mom she is like a badass attorney she was married to the president of the united states that's a huge influence that she's going to have on the nation too right being beside him and she's a respectable first lady but aside from that like she went through so much shit and still does in the public eye and so many people hate her for really no reason and i just think it'd be so fascinating to find out how she dealt with that how she like pushed through because she is now so successful in her own right and I just I love hearing her talk like she makes me feel so like she makes me feel better than Beyonce makes me feel in that regard in that like girl power regard. you love Beyonce I love Beyonce in the like okay I love lemonade love lemonade Everything else I'm in for or don't have to be in for? I'm more of a Bills, Bills, Bills type of guy. (laughs) Well, isn't that Destiny's Child? Yeah. She was the lead singer of that group. Oh, I know that, but I'm talking about like Beyonce on her own. I thought that's what you were trying to get at there. I'm just saying where my fandom started (laughs) and I think it ended at no, no, no. Or no, maybe I'm a survivor. It ended there. I don't know a Beyonce song after that. Name a Beyonce song. What's a good song off Lemonade? You can't ask me. I need to look because my brain is turned off. Okay, right well now. there, there you go. <laughs> I can sing them, but anyway, it would be, it would be Michelle Obama because I just think that I would always be on a high after that. Like my whole life, I think I'd be on a high. So let's go, Owen Wilson and Michelle Obama. If you're tuning in, we'd welcome you in in a heartbeat. Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening too. This This Family Family Tree Tree Podcast, Podcast, episode 55.